This is just a game, this war. You and that Colonel Nicholson, you're two of a kind. Crazy with courage. For what? How to die like a gentleman. How to die by the rules. When the only important thing is how to live like a human being. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where this week we return to the bridge on the River Kwai. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. I mean, do we have to? I am sweating. Uh, I've lost some weight, but uh, the clothes are falling off of me now at this point, and it is hot. But this is the outlaw, John Roca, writer, producer, and host here in San Diego, and ready to walk into this quagmire of a camp here uh, for Bridge on the River Kwai. I'm just glad you were able to, we were able to trade your old microphones for some extra rations of food, because I think that's, you know, going to help us survive here, because it's, it's rough, man. They got a lot to say. Saito's got a lot to say. Yeah. Uh, shall we just jump back into this film? Let's do it. So where we left off, Nicholson had won. Through strength of will, determination, and courage, he had essentially broken Saito completely and gotten everything he wanted, most importantly, that the officers will not do manual labor. And now for the first time as essentially the commander of the work party, he is walking through the construction site of the bridge. Yeah. And, of course, what the men have most been doing is conspiring to sabotage their own work so they don't complete the bridge. Yeah. And right away, you can see that Nicholson is looking at this differently. How many men in your party, Corporal? Well, uh, uh, I, I don't really know, sir. You don't know? Oh, sir, 12 usually, but... Uh, well, one of the men took sick very suddenly this morning, sir, and, uh, well, he took three or maybe four of the others help in the hospital, sir. Corporal should always know exactly how many men he has under him at all times. And it is quite obvious, particularly from his ridiculous blink winking, <laughs> that he's trying to send a secret message to Nicholson. Yeah. Is Nicholson getting the message and ignoring it, or does he not even get it? I think this is, yeah, I was going to ask you, at what point do you realize he is so caught up in the idea of the pride of building this bridge to the best of British ability and uh, unaware of the situation as it's laid out. And um, this moment here is really interesting because I think he does catch what he's doing. He just kind of embarrasses him by saying to him straight up, like, stop doing that with your face or whatever. Uh, in essence, saying, I understand what you're doing. Cut it out. We are not here to play games. Um, so that's what I, th I think in that moment. He is essentially by shutting him down, he's shutting everyone else down at his rank or lower who would try this kind of nonsense with him. Nicholson is one of those characters that, because he's, as we said in the first part, he's so heroic, he's yeah. so brave, he's so determined, he's loved by his men, he loves his men, he's great, he's great in yeah. all these ways. And watching what's happening with him, and, and, and I guess, I actually have another question for you. Sure. If Nicholson had not gone through the trauma of being in the oven for weeks, mm. and the battle with Saito, do you think he would have gone in this direction that he's going to go and want to build the bridge perfectly? Uh, no, I think he is, uh, as we talk about for people who, you know, who come back from war or experienced torture and war, uh, sometimes their minds not, are not a hundred percent right. And I think he comes out of this thing with a sense of duty and responsibility to give the men something to do. Right. His logic is, these men aren't going to, you know, uh, idle work is the devil's playground, right? So right. he's trying to give them work so that they can 
uh, feel proud, be motivated, be determined. So he's not seeing the bigger picture at this point. And I think because he's taking it one step at a time. And maybe in his mind, he's convinced himself this is a good way to kind of busy the men up, reestablish order here, and also feel some pride about building something in this war, even under these kinds of conditions. Uh, and I don't know. I, I, and I think the uh, the torture has kind of turned his mind around about all of it. So in a way, he won, but Saito is still kind of winning. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to go off too deep on this, Steve. But like, we haven't been the same since 9-11 as a country, in my opinion. And that, although we we won that war, we caught Bin Laden, we did all this stuff, that attack has fractured us since that time, in, 22 years ago. It has made people more afraid. It has made people more um, uh, aware of the Middle East. It has made people more afraid of people from the Middle East. It has just changed our country in many, many ways. And I, and I think, yes, we won that war, quote unquote, but we're still suffering the ramifications of that moment. And I think Colonel Nicholson from being in that uh, torture is suffering the ramifications of that experience himself. Dude, I, uh, there's, I, I think you are right on the money. I, okay, I, I was afraid I, I said too much. You no, no, no. And no, now I'm trying to debate how much I want to say, because <laughs> I, I, I never made this connection that you just made that, that had never occurred to me. And I think, in in one sense, it's a stretch, but sure. in an, in we'll another sense, yes, for sure. I so I don't think we won the war. I I don't think I think uh, you know I don't want to say the terrorists won. You know, no. Bin Laden is dead. Al Qaeda has been shattered on some levels. Yeah, but the uh, I'm now really debating how much I want to say. I have a lot to say on this topic, but but here's here's what I will say is that the purpose of terrorism is to create chaos and yeah. to cause the the country that you attack or whoever you attack to do all sorts of crazy shenanigans because they're afraid of other acts of terrorists. Right. To destabilize. Yeah. To destabilize. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. Yes. We spent trillions of dollars. We're still taking off our shoes at airports for no yep. particular fucking reason. Right. We spent trillions where we win a war in Afghanistan and then lose it. We haven't won the, we didn't win the war in Afghanistan. Sure. 20 years later, who's in charge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we, de we, we got rid of Saddam Hussein who didn't attack us and we destabilized that whole region. Yeah. And so we are now, I, uh, the world is now, in my opinion, less safe, not just based on the attack of 9-11, yeah. but based on our responses to the attack on 9-11. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I yeah, I mean like, you know, obviously this is a whole other this yeah. is a whole cinephiles long of course all we could do on Patreon at some point. <laughs> but but no, I think you're exactly on the money. And it, it, what I what I can't what's so great about Alec Guinness's performance is you can't tell what he decides exactly when he decides it. So like part of me goes, well, he sees that his troops are a rabble and they need to not be a rabble. Right, right. And the troops are unquestionably in better shape. By the end of the movie, after yes. really working on the bridge, yeah, di discipline has been restored. They're eating better. They're healthier. All that stuff is true. Right. So that's true. And what I don't know is if at this moment he's already envisioning the beautiful bridge that he wants to build or if he falls in love with the bill, the bridge as he goes along. Ooh, I think he envisions the bridge when he's looking at everything and uh, when he what we talked about in the previous episode. Uh, when he retakes the power in that in that room from Saito when they're having dinner, when he takes a look at that bridge, he knows exactly who he's going to put where. 
He knows exactly what that bridge can look like because he's built so many of them. I think he's already got the vision and he's just walking around there making sure things are working in the order they need to be for him to complete the mission or the bridge. And it's so interesting to watch the officers' uh, reaction because as they start to figure out, whoa, whoa, wait, you talking about really building the bridge? Yeah. Because he goes to Reeves, who's the engineer, and says... I say Reeves. Yes, sir. Have you ever constructed a bridge across a stream like the Kwai? Yes, sir. Half a dozen of them. How would you get it underway? Get it underway, sir? Like, what are you talking about? Well, first of all, I wouldn't build it here. And they talk about how bad this location is, that the bottom, there's no bottom on this part of the river, and that there's no way they could make the bridge hold. Right. For the sand. And then he asks about, to Hughes, who's his other his other officer about how the men are being organized. And he's like, no, it's terrible. They're working against each other. I tell you, gentlemen, we have a problem on our hands. Thanks to the Japanese, we now command a rabble. There's no order, no discipline. And as they're talking, they have stepped onto a raft. Mm. And the raft is now going to get pulled out into the river as they continue this conversation. Yeah. This is what I would call a filmmaking flex. (laughs) Oh, interesting term. Please explain. I just invented it 17 seconds ago. <laughs> so what, what I mean is that there's no reason this has to be on a raft, right? Like oh, they, yeah. they're just talking, you know, yeah. they could be talking on the shore and this shot would be a million times easier mm-hmm. to coordinate. Now you're like in the middle of a river, you have to coordinate the timing. I don't know where the cameras are. Like it's all way more complicated and it's a great shot. And you know what I thought of this time? Mm. Do you remember there's a shot in Jaws? At the beginning of the movie, where Brody is talking to the mayor, and they step out onto a car ferry. Yes. A car ferry. And again, there's no reason for them to have stepped onto this ferry to have this whole conversation. And yet the shot is so cool. And I and only this time did I go, I wonder if Spielberg was thinking of Kwai, because I I know he loves David Lean when he did that shot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Our task is to rebuild the battalion. Yes, sir. It isn't going to be easy, but fortunately we have the means at hand. The bridge. The bridge, sir? The bridge. And then here is where we hear his his philosophy. He says, We can teach these a lesson in Western methods and efficiency that will put them to shame. We'll show them what the British soldier is capable of doing. It's the hubris. It's the arrogance in that moment to have total domination in the battle between Saito and him, you know, and him trying to show that in some ways there are similarities to him and Saito after he comes out of that uh, torture. And so in, in this way, I think is another example of it because he wants to go too far in his victory over Saito. He wants it to be complete. You know, you know what it is? He won, but he wow. lost because he, he won the battle, right. but Deep down, he was shamed by Saito. Right. He was slapped in front of his troops. He was pr- put in prison. He was tortured. He All those things happened to him. I think he's walking around filled with fucking shame. Possibly. Yeah. Over what happened to him. And now he's going, I have to shame them. Yeah, right. You know? At least Saito. I have to shame and, Saito, if nothing else. Yeah. And you see the officers struggling with the... I beg your pardon, sir. You mean you really wanted to build a bridge? They're not usually so slow in the uptake, Evans. I know our men. You've got to keep them occupied. The fact is, if there weren't any work for them to do, we'd invent some, eh, Reeves? That we would, sir. What's incredible here from this whole these whole scenes that are stringing together, Steve, is he is so 
in a way, compartmentalizing. Well, he's oblivious and compartmentalizing. Like, it's very obvious that his soldiers around him are saying to him, what are you fucking talking about? And he is completely calling them out. Like, and in a way, almost like taking these digs at them, which shows how far mentally he's kind of gone the other direction. When he's like, you're not usually that slow. It's like, what are you fucking talking about? I'm, you're the one that's, you know, but they have so much respect for him. But again, this is an interesting thing about this film as well. The dangers of having too much loyalty. Hero worshiping here with Nicholson, which is something we're dealing with now in our world constantly with celebrities, people, are, politicians. People are way too obsessed with hero worshiping that they forgive or explain away anything. And certainly we're seeing that here with Nicholson. Nobody has the guts to step up to him and say to him, you are an idiot. Stop this, right? Because, of course, the ranking and everything like that. Yeah. Also, the fact that they have so much respect for him and they just carried him out on on, on their shoulders. Who would have the guts to tell him to stop? So even putting apart aside the incredibly heroic courage and bravery and defeat of Saito, you know, that we saw from Nicholson. <laughs> sure. Just put that aside for the moment. You served in the military. I did not. Yeah, yeah. But how shitty is it to serve under a terrible officer? It sucks. It absolutely sucks. I have had two experiences with that, and it's it's the absolute worst. And because it destroys morale, uh, all of us talk about it, um, you know, when we're not around that officer. And only a few, <laughs> uh, and I did this once or twice maybe, uh, have the you know uh, willingness to step up. I won't even say guts because sometimes it's craziness <laughs> to step up and call them out and risk the consequences. I got busted down twice from sergeant to specialist because I stepped up to, to officers on two different occasions who were giving us stupid, busy work that was repetitive and a waste of time. Uh, and so most officers don't deal well with that. So a lot, a lot of enlisted men don't want to do that in those kinds of positions. So yeah, it's... It's a difficult thing to step up, and I never served any uh, run under anyone as uh, heralded as Nicholson. So I, I, I would be very uh, hesitant to say anything to someone like that because you give them the benefit of the doubt, Steve. Right. Well, and the thing too is, like, imagine so, like, you've had your shitty officer experiences, mm-hmm. and then you get in Colonel Nicholson's. But yeah, right. You're just like, oh my god, this guy is so great. He's amazing. That makes the stepping up to him, you know, because you go like, look, he knows more than me. Yeah. I, I trust him. But it's going to be a proper bridge. Now, here again, I know the men. It's essential that they should take a pride in their job. Right, gentlemen? Yes, Yes, sir. And the music starts, and you see the officers start to smile. Because they're going to buy in, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because Nicholson's their guy, and they're like, okay, yeah, we, we get it. Yeah. And I love, too, by the way, this is just a totally small leadership thing, is Nicholson is such a good leader that he's willing to lower himself for someone with greater expertise because Reeves is the engineer. Reeves, you're the key man in this situation as engineer. Tell me what you want and Hughes and I will organize it. What do you think? Can we make a go of it? We'll do our best, sir. So he's saying, I'm the superior officer, but you're in charge of this bridge. And so you tell me what you need and I'm going to make it happen. Yeah. That's great leadership. But he's also enlisted them in his mania as well. You know, that's kind of the two things that he's done, delegated correctly, but also made them a party to his nonsense. Well, again, I'm going to say it again. Yeah. That is great leadership. Yeah, Enlisting yeah. you in my mania is, I mean, if you know, it's like if we go off to, if, if you're going to go direct a play, 
you got to enlist the actors in your mania, you know? Yeah, like Apocalypse Now, I got to enlist you all to come and shoot in yeah. this location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and the and the thing is, well, Apocalypse Now is a perfect example because there's every single reason that that should have been a fucking disaster. Yes, 100%. And totally could have. And it's only by sheer luck in a lot of ways and yeah. genius that Coppola comes out with a great film. You know, but it's like, and so then that reinforces, yes, I just have to enlist people in my mania and it's going to work out, you know? <laughs> yeah. I like that. By the way, I like that phrase a lot. I'm going to keep repeat. I'm going to keep quoting you there. Okay. Um, And he says, you know, we're going to figure out our plans and then we're going to have a conference to Saito. Cut to the conference with Saito. This is, this scene is so good. Yeah. And, and it's so good because you have Sasua Hayakawa sitting mostly silently through this whole meeting. Yes. While they put on their show. Yeah. What do you think he's thinking during this whole meeting? Because they're all taking turns. Nicholson is running it. And it feels like for me that Saito is in a state of shame. I think this is the beginning of him heading towards the seppuku, which he was probably going to perform there uh, at the end of near the end of the movie. You know what just occurred to me? What I think this is? What's that? I think this is Saito's oven. Oh, is that man. That's great. Yes. He is stuck in this situation of his own making, yeah. uh, and he can't get out of it because he's got to get that bridge built by a certain time or the Japanese will probably kill him. So, yeah, that's a great point, man. This is the suffering that he has to endure yes. in order to get the thing that he needs to get, which is the bridge built. Yeah. Um, And Nicholson's condescension and passive aggressive little digs throughout this whole thing i know it's hilarious it really is so terrible and funny and and well and of course he's he's correct the next point is somewhat unpleasant for all concerned i'm afraid i'm sorry to tell you that we feel the position of the bridge was fixed rather hastily and i have to add incorrectly incorrectly unfortunately yes who fixed the position of the bridge yeah saito with his people yeah yep Major Reeves, our engineer, has made a careful study of the site and has come to the conclusion that the river bottom there is too soft. Too soft? Mud. And then I, I love, there's, it's one thing to be the prisoner of war against the colonel who theoretically has way more power than you and you're talking down to him. It's another thing to call in your junior officer to like, you explain it to Saito and he has Reeves lecture him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you also see it's it's so funny because you know because we just did the Great Escape. It's like where the fuck did they come up with the paper and the pencils and all the <laughs> things that they needed to, to to for Reeves to do a survey of the riverbed? You know? Yeah, 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 hundred percent. And he's because he's got you know the soil samples. He's got everything measured out. He's you know, and and these moments are totally small, but they are totally Nicholson saying I am actually in charge when he says, yeah. uh, "Just a moment, Reeves, before you get too involved, Colonel." Do you suppose we could have a cup of tea? Oi, watch out. Hey, oi, watch out. Hey, oi, watch out. Oi. What is this? Because he, he does the tea and then uh, talks about and then orders dinner as well, Steve. So is this a conscious power play on Nicholson's um, part or has Nicholson, without knowing, become Saito? I... I think it is a conscious power play on Nicholson's okay. part. What do you, what do you think? 
I don't know. Because it's see, I'm looking at him, and I know this is a show where we should have answers for these things. But I, I was watching it. <laughs> we don't. Have, hey, Cinephiles fans, <laughs> guess what? John and Steve do not have all the answers. <laughs> well, fair. I, I just think in this moment, as I watch it, I, I, I don't like. There's something weird that happens where he becomes, and I, I want to say this correctly. He becomes a condescending prick, is what Nicholson becomes. <laughs> I think you said it correctly. <laughs> Which is the danger of any arrogant person in power. And Nicholson winning this battle, instead of being humble about the victory, you know, working with his uh, troops to build this bridge, but also with the plan to blow it up at a certain moment, he, by not going that route, he's gone this other route where he is lording his power over everybody. And in a way, he's become kind of a de facto version of Saito over everybody because his troops won't question him. He has essentially castrated Saito or emasculated Saito. And so much so, and he's feeling himself so much that it's not enough just to win. He also has got to rub it in your face in the way that crusty old um, um, elitist British people from the time can do. And so this is what I see that's happening here with Nicholson, which is such a danger. In, in so many ways. You know, there are a lot of lessons in this movie if you really break it down and analyzing it the way we are. It isn't just one message. There are multiple ones throughout this film. It, it's funny that Apocalypse Now came up earlier because mm. Colonel Kurtz was a great colonel whose troops loved him. Yes, yes. In fact, Colonel Kurtz could, couldn't do the insanity that he does in the end of the movie unless he is like Colonel Nicholson, an incredible right. human. Right. And, and so that great pride and that great discipline that allows you to be the great soldier and the great leader, yeah. when it turns the wrong way. And what's so funny is unlike Colonel Kurtz, he's not burying people and killing people and cutting off people's heads. Yeah. He's not doing anything like that. He's just building a bridge. But in its own way, this is just as nuts. What he's, right. what he's about to do. Right, right. Uh, it's not just as nuts. Let me, let me pull that back a little bit. <laughs> it's not just as nuts. It is still nuts. And then we go to how we organize the troops, which they have done terribly. And at the end of this one, just like the previous thing with the moving the location, it ends with... Do you suppose it would be possible to have a meal served here? Of course. All right. So what do you know you say? Hey! It's later. We're eating. We're talking over dinner. As most of the British soldiers will be working on the bridge, only a small number will be available for railway work. So I must ask you, Colonel Saito, to lend us some of your own men to reinforce the railway gang so that the final stretch of track can be completed as quickly as possible. And Saito, in a dead tone, says, I have already given the order. <laughs> I, it's so great because it's like, dude, I get it. Because Saito is... is better than Nicholson is treating him. I guess that's how I'd put it. It's like, he's not actually the Nicholson's treating him like a fool, you yes. know? Yes. And Saito's like, no, I, I get it. I know what we're doing. I understand what's happening here. I've yeah. given some of these orders, you know? Yeah. Um, Instead of working with him, he's turning yeah. him into a lackey, which is not a good thing either way. Yeah. I, I love the dig too, that he's increased the British men's quota. And he thinks about, and he says to Saito, you know, I thought about making your guys, quota easier so it doesn't tire them out which is basically saying we're we i'm worried that your men are not as tough as the prisoners of war who've been treated like slaves for months yeah yeah you know and saito in the same tone says i have already given the order well the other great thing about this meeting by the way is it's treated exactly like a normal staff meeting that they yeah. could have under any other circumstances yeah 
Yeah. In fact, it mirrors the meeting we had when he first arrived at the camp there yeah. with, uh, with uh, um, William Holden's character and other and these other officers there with Lipton, I think, as well. So there's a little bit of a mirror to that, uh, to that meeting as well. It only remains for me to say thank you, Colonel Saito, for your kind attention. And are there any other questions? One question. Can you finish the bridge in time? Frankly, the consensus of opinion is that it's impossible. But we'll certainly give it a go. And then it's you've said this before of like you can't resist that one last dig. I know. You know? I know. It's the yeah, it's the difference between I don't know, it's the difference between class and not class at times. So yeah. <laughs> well, and Nicholson, who is a, probably a very high class gentleman in many ways, just on the way out has to say After all, we mustn't forget that we've wasted over a month through an unfortunate disagreement for which I was not to blame. But he is to blame. But anyway, yeah. I mean, he's, yeah, of course he, well. They're both to blame. They both yeah. enter into that. And then Saito, I think, just in trying to get, like, one, grasp one little bit of power, says, The meeting is closed. And everyone leaves and leaving Saito alone at the table. Yeah. By the way, it, it's interesting. I never knew there were any protests or anger about this film. Oh, there was? I didn't yeah. know. Oh, yeah, from the British soldiers there were yeah there were people from the british side who were upset about this film yeah yeah so so for the british side they were upset that they would show collaborators what they saw as dickelson being a collaborator with the japanese from the japanese side you would think that they would be upset by the cruelty that was shown or the depiction of the japanese as you know breaking the geneva convention and all those things that was not the upset yeah. the upset was they were offended by the depiction of japanese engineers as incompetent yeah and that the prisoner, because there is very much a, we the British are better than the Japanese at doing this stuff. Right. And the, and the reality is, is the Japanese were not incompetent as engineers. The Japanese, they, you know, despite the horrible treatment of the prisoners and all this stuff, they did this incredible, this was an incredible engineering accomplishment building this railroad. It's not, there's no way defending any of the behavior of the Jap Japanese in building the railroad. But yeah, so we have some British soldiers who were deeply offended by Nicholson as a collaborator with the Japanese. And then you have Japanese soldiers offended by the depiction of Japanese as incompetent. Well, I've, I've been told that if you piss off all sides, you're doing something right. So, well, I mean, you know me, man, like I think sometimes we got to go into areas that people are going to have mixed feelings about to make yeah. great art sometimes, you know? Yeah, <clears throat> and did they protest the book the way they protest the movie? I'd like to. I'd like to. I have no idea. I mean, I'm, I'm sure the book wasn't nearly as big. I mean, this is a huge, huge film. True. And as we're walking away, and I think this is one of those moments where of of an officer trying to manage up without actually um, openly criticizing Nicholson, hmm. because as they're walking away, one of the officers says, I "Hope these Japanese appreciate what we're doing for them." That feels like a hint to me. Yeah. Yeah. And Nicholson starts to say goodnight, and then Reeves, the engineer, comes up to tell him that the trees nearby are similar to the elms, and that the elm pines of London Bridge lasted 600 years. Yeah, yeah. And Nicholson's reaction. 600 years, Reeves? Yes, sir. 600 years. That would be quite something. And the music is very dissonant as they walk away in, in silhouettes. And then there is a completely bizarre cut to the Ceylon Hospital right on the beach, which, by the way, the hospital is actually the hotel where where the, the big stars and David Lean were all staying in Ceylon. 
Oh, okay. And then we cut to a scene, which I believe David Lean described as that terrible scene with the blonde. (laughs) Yeah. This is such an unnecessary scene. uh, And I think David Lean is correct. I'm feeling that way about it. Any guesses of why this scene is in the movie? Was he sleeping with her? Oh, yeah. No, I, I think absolutely. No, I'm no, saying... I mean, why? David Lean. Was David Lean sleeping with Oh, her? oh, oh, no, no, no. No, the studio forced him. They said there's no women in this movie. Oh. That's why they're also women bearers on the journey to the bridge. That makes... Oh, really? I mean, five years later, right? We have Arabia, which has no women in it. Lawrence of yep. Arabia, right? I'm looking at it. And that's David Lean as well. Yeah, five years later in 1962 is Lawrence of Arabia. So, uh, all right. That seems like an odd thing to be complaining about, but all right. Well, I don't know. I mean, we live in a world of representation <laughs> matters and making sure that we have people in a film, you know, like that. that's the world we're in today. Yeah, but is this the kind of representation you want? I mean, she. It's well, just- this is the problem. I mean, yes, I to- totally, yeah. totally. I mean, it's like putting in a scene, just adding a woman doesn't actually, you know. I right. mean, I actually think uh holden is charming and it's you know like it's not a it's not i don't i don't see it as david lean does as a terrible scene but i do see it as an unnecessary scene that's what i mean it's a useless scene it's not and i know it it, you know it um reinforces the lothario of the american soldier here yeah and reinforces him as a guy who is much more about the carnal pleasures of life than he is about the officer life so i guess you could argue that because he's a fake officer so i guess you could argue that a guy like him would do something like this try to hook up with a nurse or or hook up with the nurse which he has well i think real officers would also try to hook up with nurses i mean no (laughs) they're all very high end (laughs) (laughs) Um, but but, i mean the way he does it so blatantly so out there and so obvious it just is what's funny is he i think there's many many connections between shears and hilts in uh, The Great Escape, Steve McQueen's mm, character. It's yeah. like, because they're going, this is the American. Look right. at how the American is just being exactly. American, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and, but the scene genuinely becomes interesting when jo- Jack Hawkins walks up. And I think Jack Hawkins is just one of the great character actors. Jack Hawkins is an MVP of character acting for these um, epic films. He's just an MVP, man. And when he comes in, you're like, oh shit, here we go. What we got? You know, he's got that voice. He's got that angular face of his he's got mm-hmm. that presence he is a battering ram in ways that is so fun to watch when he's in these movies yeah he's and it's 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 so interesting because like the three movies i think that we've done him done with him we did ben-hur lawrence arabia and this yeah i don't know if we've seen him in something else maybe we have all three of those characters are, are different yes and, and they're all jack hawkins if you know what i mean yes right exactly they're all different characters but jack hawkins natural essence and energy comes through yeah in each of those performances, yeah. Well, I'll be as brief as possible. I belong to a rather rum group called Force 316. Our headquarters is up in the Botanical Gardens. I love the term, a rather rum group, (laughs) to describe the group of commandos he's part of. Among other things, we have a particular interest in that railway you worked on, and you could give us no end of very valuable information. Obviously, Shears tries to talk his way out of it, yeah. Finally, they agree that he's going to come up t- 10 a.m. tomorrow morning because, of course, he's going to spend the night with the nurse tonight. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, 
Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Now we're going to head up to the Botanical Garden, where Force 316 is stationed. I think this movie, this this is just such a bizarre turn for me. Yeah. And it's great because I think we needed relief from the bridge. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. We need to. But it's it's almost like a James Bond world all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Shears walks in and they're practicing explosion and they're gorillas, you know, teaching each, you know, being taught how to attack and stuff. And, uh, and we hear the instruction as he's walking through on this pathway. And then one of the, students in the commando school runs up and attacks him <laughs> and he manages to grab his knife and he's on the ground yeah and i love the instructor who runs up and goes always use your knife immediately joyce immediately man you see he's gained the initiative which a is a plant because yes. this is going to be key to this guy's character and yeah. b the moment of just wait a minute i'm terribly sorry sir uh, you're sorry so am i sir i i thought you were the enemy sir such a very funny introduction for him to yeah. walk in. Yeah. And he explains that he's on his way to see Major Warden, which is the Jack Hawkins character. And, I, you know, and again, this is just a funny beat as he should j- be finishing his lecture at any moment. And then there's an explosion and we hear that's the end of his lecture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is a great introduction for a guy like this, right? I mean, yeah. The fact that he's doing these kinds of things. So Major Warden walks up, he's carrying some plastique, which we talk about a bit. Of course, we have to have the required beat where he tosses it to Shears, who who fumbles it before we realize that it's not going to blow up. And we head inside, and he notices that Warden has been reading, like, the local papers in the local language. And he says, you read this? Oh, I taught Oriental languages at Cambridge before the war. So he is an upper-class intellectual, highly educated guy who's become a commando. Yeah. it's too, and, and you compare him to Nicholson, right? These are people who probably came from the same, relatively same class, but two completely different personalities in how they're approaching the war. The one being the stiff, upper-class guy who's about the rules, and Warden isn't. Warden, you know, Nicholson's about the rules. Warden is more about, he enjoys more the commando aspect of it all, the sneaking around, the uh, attacking, you know, these kinds of things, taking on these missions, the more danger, uh, dangerous part of the war. And so it's an interesting back and forth. And it's such a, he's such a great energy when he comes in here at this point. 
It's interesting you say that because I, I think you're, I think he and Nicholson are very different. Um, but sh- I think Shears sees them as the same, you know? Well, well, yeah, well, Shears, I mean, come on. <laughs> Shears ain't the brightest bulb. Let me just put that on the table right now. Even though it's I, a very fantastic performance of Wim Holden, he's not the brightest guy. Well, I think, do you think, do you think Shears went to college? Uh, if he did, he went, oh, I don't want to say it. I want to get in trouble. I went to community college, so I can say it. Uh, he might have gone to community college, if anything. I, I, I think he was a working Joe. I don't think he went to yeah. college. I think, okay. I think I think there are many. Shears figure out how to survive in that camp. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I think there are many sh- smart things about Shears. But yeah. there is a whole bunch of stuff that Nicholson and uh, Warden have way beyond him. You street know? smarts ain't book smarts. That's for sure. And so yeah. uh, I think he has street smarts and he's a survivor. He's like He's that survivor, skinny yeah. dog in the street that survives somehow while other dogs fall by the wayside. He's got that dog in him, uh, and he'll sacrifice anybody to survive, which is a dangerous thing about Shears. Um, but yeah, I don't see him as an intellectual heavyweight. No, no. I, I love, by the way, all the British sort of, uh, when they talk about his escape, it's like, oh, good show. Bloody good show. <laughs> and she. Let me ask you this. Do you, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Finish, finish the scene, and I'm going to ask you a question. Well, I was just going to say that Shears always has a reaction to the good show stuff, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's it's a little shame mixed in with some pride. But but let me ask you this. Do you think there – because in the end, we know the end of the scene is that they know all about him and that they're going right. to recruit him and they already got permission yeah. and fucked, right? Right. Do you think this is a whole setup? Maybe not the old dude who seems completely oblivious to everything. But do you think everything Hawkins is doing is just a whole setup to soften Shears for the blow that's coming? Yes, 100%. Well, and there's the moment because when he's standing at his desk, he reaches down and and starts to open the file that he has. Yeah, oh yeah. And then he changes his mind and goes, I don't want to let him because what I think what I because what's interesting about this movie is there's this British what we'll call the British perspective, not that there weren't great uh, brave American soldiers, I'm not saying that, but there there's a very very British thing going on where they believe because what's similar about Warden and Nicholson is this strong belief in duty and in courage and in what you're supposed to do for your country and how you're supposed to live. And so I think he's hoping that somehow Shears is going to volunteer, that he can get mm-hmm. Shears to volunteer without bringing out this file. You Even know? though he knows the guy is a fake officer. Yes. I, I, I think – well, and, and that's what so, – would, would Nicholson have ever done anything with Shears after he knew that he was a fake officer? No. And for Warden, that actually doesn't matter. Right. For Warden, it's almost like it's in, it, it actually works in his favor yeah. that he was willing to do these things because he can be sneaky if he needs to be. And he's certainly willing to take a chance to be thrown in the brig uh, with these dangerous decisions of his. So, yeah. Yeah. There's a great moment where the thing that Shears is curious about when they're talking about the prisoner prisoner of war camp is he says say do your intelligence people have any idea what happened to that uh, colonel nicholson no he had the guts of a maniac they were about to shoot him and he didn't bat an eye and warden's response i think is fascinating and i think it highlights the distinction between shears and warden and nicholson which is he says well i suppose if you're about to be shot there isn't a great deal you can do is there which is so it's it, in one sense it's pro it might be true and in another sense, it's so, like, such a British underplay. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Like, oh, well. And we talk a little bit about 
the railroad and that the job of these commandos are to uh, prevent them from building the railroad. It's too far for bombers to carry an adequate load, so we shall have to go in and smash it up on the ground. With demolition equipment through that jungle? Yes. And this is where he starts to drop the hints of we want you to come along because he says our chief problem is that of firsthand knowledge. You see, none of us has been there. Yeah. And Warden kind of gleefully says, Colonel Green has given me the quiet bridge. I'm going to take a team in and blow it up. And Shears goes, lucky you. (laughs) Well, that is only one question, actually. How would you feel about going back? And Shears' face falls and he goes, come again. I know, under the circumstances, it's a bit much, but you see, you do have a unique knowledge for our purpose, and we'd love to have you with us. You mean to tell me that that's why you brought me here, to ask me this? And this is where I, this is, this is the moment, John, where I went, where I was suddenly happy that we did Great Escape first. Oh, Because, what did they ask Hiltz to do? Escape from the prisoner of war camp, and then come back. Yeah. Right. With information. With information, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is now what they're asking Shears. And the tone of the movie is totally different. Yeah. But structurally, that idea of, and, and this um, idea of the American who's looking out for number one, looking out for himself, in the Hilt's case, it's heroic. Right. Like, uh, okay, I see my friend die. I'm going to help you because I want to get, you know, I want to do the right thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the Shears case, he just has no choice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And the first way he tries to get out of it is like, look, I'm U.S. Navy. You can't, you know, I don't, I'm not part of you. And they go, oh, yeah, your Navy's already handed you over to us. <laughs> just, and you see him take that in. They can't do this to me. Well, I'm afraid they have. <laughs> it was awfully difficult to know how to break it to you. No, but they can't do this to me. I really mean it. My Navy's made a mistake. Uh-oh. What's so funny, because Warden already knows. Yeah. And so he's just watching him sort of twist on the hook, you know? Mm-hmm. Finally, he says, I'm not a Navy commander. I, I'm not even an officer. Oh. No, the whole thing's a fake. I'm just an ordinary swap jockey, second class. And describes what happened, which is he sunk. He was with an officer. The officer got killed. And he, you know, thought, well, may, I might be better off. The officer might get better treatment. And then I love the moment where he goes, Not that it did me any good, because at Saito's camp, the officers worked along with the rest. Yes, there's always the unexpected, isn't there? <laughs> anyway, that's the whole story. And the point of it is that you can't use me. You want an officer for your team. An American commander named Shears, and he doesn't exist. And then Shears has some ridic- ridiculous plan about how he's going to get out of this Yeah. when they find out, which I don't think, I don't think his plan makes a lot of sense. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't serve in the military, but, John, my understanding is that impersonating an officer is kind of a big deal. It is a big deal. Yeah, and maybe you could get away with, uh, I think what he's trying to claim is that he's uh, unstable or unwell yeah. or whatever. And you could probably try that action, but that also is, uh, could be possible at the time could be seen as sh- even doubly shameful if that comes down the way it comes down but like i said he's a scrounger he's yep. he, however he can survive he's going to survive so it makes sense it's like it's like the terminator he's almost becoming like the terminator t1000 when it gets thrown into the lava or the whatever the melted metal becoming all the different personalities trying to get mm. out of it and it's that that's uh, that's what I see William Holden or Shears doing here in this moment. He's trying to come up with whatever excuse or whatever string of words that'll get him out of the situation, and he can't. And my Navy finds out who I am. Those temporary orders you've got won't be worth the paper they're written on. And this is where I, I love when things are set up beautifully in the movie because yeah. there was just this vague shot 
that you noticed of Warden touching this file earlier in the scene. Yeah. And now he reaches down and opens up the file. And the moment that he does that, you go, oh, they already know. Yeah. <laughs> you know? You're so fucked. <laughs> he pulls out, exactly, he pulls out a photo and goes, This is your photograph, isn't it? <laughs> I love Shears is just like, fuck. I know. <laughs> Holden's sinking face in these two moments when A, how do you feel about going back? And then B, when he pulls out the picture, are just perfect. Just really perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I love the explanation. He says, Your name is in an awkward position. In one sense, you're a blasted hero for making an escape through the jungle. But at the same time, they can't very well bring you home and give you the Navy Cross for impersonating an officer, can they? And I like, too, by the way, that he gives him a rank of major. He doesn't care. Right. It doesn't make, right. Yeah, it doesn't I'll make, make any difference. I'll, I'll wash everything away if you just help. Simulated major. That figures. And he drinks his drink. Well, as long as I'm hooked, I might as well volunteer. <laughs> they say, good show. Good show. <laughs> it, it, it is, it's so funny because it is such a change from the first, you know, hour and a half plus of the movie. Yeah. And it's so enjoyable. Like, it, 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 like, it's just so like, oh, this movie is actually fun for this section of it. Yeah, it's a welcome change. But it's yeah. also great to set up the tragedy, right? You actually... Because Shears was the sarcastic, uh, kind of, not know-it-all, but kind of like, you know, you guys, oh, you got to try this guy. Okay, whatever you want to do. He ends up, you know, get, stumbling into that uh, village. He he takes off and he looks refreshed. He probably took advantage of the food and the women and everything until he was strong enough. Got in that boat, stupidly drinks the water and gets dysentery. Uh, and he's lucky to be found drifting in the water not by the Japanese, but by the Allies, and he ends up in this situation. And instead of being, you know, I should reflect on the decisions I've made, I should, you know, make some changes, blah, blah, blah. No, this is just reinforcing his behavior. So he's hooking up with a nurse, and he's out on the beach, and he's doing these kinds of things. And then, bang, everything comes uh, to, to um, I don't know, everything, consequences come around, and he has to finally pay for this uh, living high on the hog that he's been doing. And now he's got to see what kind of hero he actually can be. So I like that they make him someone you actually want to connect with by the time this all happens. And like all good American stories, he is both the cool guy and the underdog at the same time. And so it just works. You know, it just occurred to me Mm -hmm. uh, as you're speaking is that there's this weird way in which he's Nicholson, which is that Nicholson stepped into the ultimate version of a certain role, mm-hmm. which was being the perfect British officer in all these ways. Yeah. And then he went through a trauma and doubled down on that role, and which took him in a direction which is the opposite of where he should want to go. Yeah. yeah. Shears took the role of, I'm pretending to be an officer. I'm full scammer with no you know, thing. Went through this trauma, gets to the hospital, and doubles down on it. Yeah. He could have gotten out and said his real name. And I escaped from this prisoner oh, of war camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he chose to double down on it. And then that leads him to going to do the opposite of what he wants, which is going back to the bridge, you know? Yeah. Um, speaking of the bridge, we head back there. And now you can see that they're really working on it and being more successful about it. Yeah, it looks And Nicholson is walking along the edge and looking at the work. And you can already see on Alec Guinness the love for the bridge. He's so lost. So... One of the things that I didn't even I didn't think about very much until doing my research, mm-hmm. 
They had to build this bridge. Yes. Legitimately had to build this bridge. They had to build this bridge in the middle of the jungle. This is, in any stretch of the imagination, a huge shoot. This is not a place where there was all sorts of logistical support for making a big movie. They essentially had to build a city. Then they had to build roads to the city. Then they had to uh, start work on an actual building the actual bridge, which they worked on for nine months. Wow. Nine months to build this bridge. It's hundreds of people. I think there were 40 elephants. In, in order to build the bridge, because we're in the jungle and there are these huge storms. And by the way, the heat was really rough on the shoot. But what was really rough was the rain. Cool. Is Because rain would shut you down. You have all this equipment that has to be covered and kept dry. All the stuff that can rust. All the stuff that can go wrong. And one of the things that the rain does is that the river would go up several feet in level when it would flood. And this oh. would happen regularly. Wow. Well, that makes it real hard to build a bridge. So what they, what they had to do first, they had to build a dam. They had to dam the river upstream in order to build the bridge downstream. I mean, that's that's for a movie for, for a, a movie. movie. So uh, we have Clifton going through and, you know, finds a guy with uh, an infected foot. And the soldier who he says, you got to get to sick bay is upset about it. Yeah. Because he doesn't want to look bad in front of Colonel Nicholson. Get up to sick bay, Baker. This foot's infected. The colonel might think I'm malingering. I'm the medical officer, Baker. Get tracking. That's the kind of hero we're. It is so yep. ingrained, right? And we see this in sports, Steve, all the time. Players playing with injuries to impress their coaches or their family members, or the fans, right? Or themselves, even, to be honest. So they, we see that all the time. So a guy like this doing this in the in military makes all the sense in the world. Well, and when it's for a good thing, we go, that's awesome. <laughs> you know? Right. And of course, it isn't. I mean, like the, the, the football one is uh, you have these people who end up with these traumatic industries that yeah. are life-changing down the line. But at the time, all of our stories are about, yeah, he had three broken fingers and he went back in or, he, you know, like, yeah, 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 yeah. And we go, what a hero. Yeah, I was, I was rewatching The Last Dance, which is that Chicago Bulls documentary. It's so good. Jordan, it's fantastic, right? Just it was randomly on last night because I was working on a bunch of things uh, and posting shows. And uh, the food poisoning game, it's not the flu game. It's actually food poisoning that he had. Um and his mom is the one who didn't want him to play. His mom was like, you cannot play in this condition that you're in. But for him, it was so important. It was game five. And it burnished his legacy, right? So it's those things. you got to know when the right time is to play through the injury and when isn't the right time to play for the injury. Because we've also seen players play through injury and become you know, walking zombies, the CTE, the unable to walk sometimes. I mean, Earl Campbell... One of the greatest running backs ever can uh, barely walk. So it's like those kinds of things you kind of have to factor in on a case-by-case -case basis. But, but by the way, the ability to play through nausea, I don't get. Like I, I, I've I've played, you know, I've done martial arts where I was hurt and I, you know, I was limping and I kept, you know, right. sparring or whatever. I, 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 pain I could deal with. Nausea, I cannot. Yeah. <laughs> like, nausea, yeah. just a little puddle on a couch. I was watching, uh, you know, you know, I'm a Cal football fan mm. and Cal has had, while they've rarely been a good team, has had excellent quarterbacks. Right. And one of them, and it might have been Aaron Rodgers, but I can't remember for sure. And I remember I was at the game and what and the whoever the quarterback was who went definitely went on to the NFL, yeah. had the stomach flu. And I watched him in the huddle. Yeah. He stepped out of the huddle, turned to the side, threw up, <laughs> yeah. took the took the ball, and threw for a touchdown. And I was like, dude, you know, that is some impressive stuff. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. You hear about <laughs> those stories, some of those NFL guys who are sick. They throw up on the field and keep playing. So you're playing amongst people's puke. It is not a glory job. Let's just say <laughs> that real quick. Yeah. Um, so the first thing that happens, we're, we're with Clifton and Nich- Nicholson. And one of the things we should say is throughout all of this, Saito is always there. He's in the background somewhere yeah. watching this. How's he behaving? I must say he's been most reasonable since we took over. I wonder what he's thinking. And in the most dismissive way. I haven't the foggiest. Yeah. yeah. He just doesn't care to know to answer that question, which should be an important question for him, frankly. Yeah, well, Nicholson has deemed him a violator of the Geneva Convention. So in his mind, he's not a sportsman. So he does not have to treat him with sportsmanship. Yeah. So I, I think that's also what's going on for Nicholson in this moment, in these uh, moments as well is that he doesn't see him as an equal because he didn't respect him as an equal when he showed up at the camp. So why should Nicholson? It's so funny you say that because it goes back to the Geneva Convention versus the Bushido Code because Saito right. didn't respect Nicholson because he had violated the code that Saito was raised to live yes. in. Yes, 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 exactly. And and in doing so, he violated the code that Nicholson was raised to live by right. and therefore, and now Nicholson dismisses him. Yeah, yeah, um, 100%. And then Clifton does what we've been wondering about throughout the whole throughout this part of the movie is he says sir are you convinced that building this bridge is a good idea are you serious yes sir a good idea and he talks about how the men's morale morale is high the discipline is improved their condition is improved he says they feed better and they are no longer abused or maltreated that's all true well then honestly clifton there are times when i don't understand you at all and we're sitting there going like, dude, you're building a bridge for the Japanese. Yeah. But Clifton is doing it in the best passive aggressive way that he can. Exactly. During the situation. He's trying his best to get him to see the light, which is hilarious. I'll try to make myself clear, sir. The fact is, what we're doing could be construed as, forgive me, sir, collaboration with the enemy. Perhaps even as treasonable activity. Puts it on the table, finally. Yeah. Which is a hundred percent correct. Oh uh, yes, yes. Are you all right, Clifton? We are prisoners of war. We haven't the right to refuse work. Which is literally what he did in the beginning of the movie: is refuse work. Yes, right. Because it wasn't on his terms. Yep. Yeah, he yeah. says. I understand that, sir. But must we work so well? Must we build them a better bridge than they could have built for themselves? And I think Nicholson makes an excellent comeback to this because he says, if you had to operate on Saito, would you do your best or would you let him die? That's a great uh, counter, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a perfect counter and his premise, of course, is wrong. Yeah. You know, which is this is not a dying person on an operating table. This right. is a this bridge is a weapon of war. Don't you realize how important it is to show these people that they can't break us in body or in spirit? I mean, just so caught up in the status of it all. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. It's fu- it's funny in the, those Patrick O'Brien books I've, I've read many times, mm-hmm. one of the big things that they always find that, that, you know, Jack is the captain. And one of the things he hates is these spit and polished captains who care more about how everything looks than actually creating a fighting machine on right. the ship. One day the war will be over. And I hope that the people who use this bridge in years to come will remember how it was built and who built it. Not a gang of slaves, but soldiers, British soldiers, Clifton, even in captivity. I mean, just like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. By the way, for this entire scene, standing on a rock in the background, just in the noonday sun, yeah. is Saito. 
Well, I mean, as you were saying, David Lean uh, and uh, Nichols and uh, uh, Guinness having issues, and here he is doing the same thing to uh, Sasui Hayakawa. So, you know, it's uh, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, I guess. Well, I mean, is David Lean Nicholson? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, exactly, yeah. like oh, you know, maybe that's a great point. Yeah, I mean, maybe. he's like this is what is necessary. Well, and, and actually, he's not Nicholson. It's because Nicholson is not cruel in the way that it sounds like David Lean can be. Yeah, you know. But definitely, like, if I want you to stand in the sun for hours because I want to get this fucking shot, then that's what you're going to do, you know? Yeah. By the way, some of the, you know, we talked about how some British soldiers responded to this movie. Some of them said that uh, a man like Nicholson would be shot by his own men. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Which which is also a thing that happens in war. Yeah. I don't know if I believe them, but okay. I don't know if I believe them, but okay. I, I think... What we are shown in this film is just how much fucking love his men have for yeah, right. and admiration. So I don't know that in this particular case. It's not Niedermeyer from Animal House whose men shoot him. So we'll find out at the end of the oh, my God. <laughs> By the way, did Niedermeyer, what did Niedermeyer think of the bridge on the River Kwai? I think he thought that Nicholson was awesome. Oh, I bet he did. hundred percent. Now that's a soldier. Because Animal House is, I think it takes place in like 63 or something. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. everybody in uh, that fraternity definitely watched Kwai. <laughs> so we're back with commando training. Uh, we see the blonde leaving. It's obviously in the morning. So, okay, we know where she has been. And yeah. Shears runs up late to his meeting with Colonel Green and with Warden. The main reason I asked you here today was to help us pick the fourth member of your team. Ask Mr. Joyce to come in. Sir. Chapman here wants Joyce, but I have my doubts about him. Now, Joyce is the guy that attacked Shears earlier on in the film. Right, 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 right. Frankly, I think he has too much imagination as distinct from cold calculation. My guess is Colonel Green was also a badass in his day. Yes, 100%. Yeah. 100%. The old man took care of business, for sure. What's interesting is that he wants Shears' opinion. Right. Does he know that Shears was impersonating an officer? I think he does, yeah. Which is why he asks his opinion. More yeah. About- a uh, learned opinion in this particular situation, yeah. Um, so they call Joyce in, and we find out that he w- he's Canadian. He was an accountant in Montreal. And we have the Shears character. We have the Nicholson character. We have the Warden character. And now we get a different approach to honor and courage and duty and stuff yeah. like that in Joyce, which is he was bored. I just checked columns and columns of figures, which three or four people had checked before me. And then there were... Other people who checked them after I had checked them. Sounds a frightful bore. Sir, it, it was a frightful bore. So he enlisted in the army, and then that wasn't tough enough for him, so he volunteered for Force 316. And Shears is like, you volunteered? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's so antithetical to Shears' uh, uh, motto in life, which is to not volunteer for anything. <laughs> Never volunteer. <laughs> That's like a basic rule, John. <laughs> it's um <laughs> a colonel green pulls out a knife and says think about this and he says are you quite sure you'll be able to use it in cold blood yeah and joyce gives a truly honest answer i don't honestly know sir i've tried to imagine myself i suppose i find it hard to kid myself that killing isn't a crime this is the beginning this character i think steve is the beginning of the anti-war message right you can kind of maybe extrapolate that from the interactions and the torture and the pain and the 
mania, you could argue the kind of uh, functioning mania that Nicholson has in building this bridge. But this kid is the beginning of like the idea of uh, this being a bit of an anti-war film, you know, seeing his questions, his legitimate questions he has, which was probably revolutionary in 1957 to have a, a kid questioning whether he would be able to and should he kill you know in war so i kind of love that even though we've had you know number of novels and stuff throughout since the 1900s talking about um people questioning the value of war in in literature and in film but i think here's the moment that i think it starts to make a little bit of a turn well this is why this is a deep movie you know in the way that the great escape is not a deep movie because you've got the, the the most heroic and admirable character in Nicholson I would say doing something that's really wrong yes you have shears who's like going just reality 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 this is all bullshit I'm a slave this is a horrible torture and the only way to deal with it is is to lie you know to and then you have warden who's like the heroic guy ready to go in and then you have Joyce who's wrestling with with the the conflict between his romantic notions yeah of being a soldier that he had when he was an accountant yes, and the reality of actually killing somebody in cold blood, stabbing them in the back, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, do you build the bridge or do you blow it up? You know? Yeah. Or do you just walk away? And I like, by the way, that warden is impressed with Joyce's honesty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they ask Shears's opinion and he says, well, sir, he's Canadian and that's in keeping with the international composition of this outfit. If he wants to go that bad, he can even take my place. <laughs> of course. And then there's just like a casual mention of the parachute jump. And they say, you've had parachute training, of course. He says, no, sir. <laughs> I love the response. Blast. This is awkward. <laughs> so uh, Warden goes off to uh, arrange some practice jumps for Shears. And now he's alone with the colonel. Yeah, by the way, here's something that'll interest you. The new L-pill. L-pill? for lethal instantaneous painless much better than the old ones for capture of course i don't ever want to do a job where someone hands me an l pill <laughs> i love that it's the furthering of shears going like god damn it <laughs> what's wrong with you people what is what is happening because what they hear is that if someone gets wounded we're gonna have to leave them behind yes yes which is obviously another plant of something yeah. that's going to happen later on Colonel, you want my honest evaluation of this team? I didn't want to speak out in front of the others. All right, Sam, go ahead. Well, Chapman will be fine. Ice water in his veins. I, I love that setup because he's the dude that's going to instantly die on the jump. Yes. You know? Right. It's Warden I don't get. No? Why not? Oh, Cambridge Don and all of that. You know, it's one thing for him to play around with explosives like a kid with firecrackers. So he sees, he has an image of who Warden is. Right. He sees Warden like Nicholson. He compares them and um, thinks they're the same, but they're not, which yeah. is find out. You know. Well, and he and he goes like, you know, oh, you studied Oriental languages in Cambridge. You must be soft on some level. Right. And it's so funny, too, because what's the next movie that uh, Lean is going to do is Lawrence of Arabia, where T.E. Lawrence was a huge intellectual that everyone thought was soft. Yeah. You know? who studied languages and archaeology and all this other stuff and ends up being as tough a man as you could. And a guy who dealt in plastic explosives and blew shit up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And this is where Green reveals, like, no, he actually was left behind enemy lines after Singapore fell and built, blew up all these installations and then was captured. Yeah. Yeah. So Warden, tough guy. 
Yes, yes. And then Warden comes back and says, which I don't think makes sense, but is kind of hilarious. He says, They say in view of the time element, they don't think a few practice jumps would be worthwhile. No? No, they say if you make one jump, you've only got 50% chance of injury, two jumps, 80%, and three jumps, you're bound to catch a packet. The consensus of opinion is that the most sensible thing for major shares to do is to go ahead and jump and hope for the best. <laughs> Which is already hilarious. Yeah, ridiculous. And then Shear says, with or without parachute. <laughs> and what I love about this joke is that from the American Shear's perspective, this joke is, this is a stupid fucking plan. Yeah. Why would you have me do something like that? And for the British, they hear it as like a brave comment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. A jolly good, jolly good show, you know? <laughs> and they all laugh. And then Shears laughs too. But he does not think this is very funny. No. We pre-lap in the sound of the planes, which I think is a great choice. And we have the parachute jump. And we see the four chutes falling. And Warden and Joyce land. And then Shears, of course, lands in some water just to make it a little rougher on him. And then the fourth guy, who's Chapman, lands in the trees and where we realize he's been killed. Yeah. We are brought to this village. We meet Yai, whose name is, I'm not going to pronounce it right, but it's MRB uh, Chakarabandru. Okay. Um, and we hear that he hates the Japanese, that we're going to have women bearers. And they said, why women bearers? And they said, well, because the studio insisted that we have more women in the movie and that's why they're here. Yeah. <laughs> Everything um, with women in this movie makes no fucking sense. Just no, it really, it really can't, doesn't. Can't be in a movie like this. May, may, I want to make that really, really clear. Everything with women in this movie, it makes no sense because they're turned into objects of desire. That's it. So they have no dimensionality to them. There was a way to maybe weave a woman into this that would have been interesting back at the base or whatever, the compound, but it wasn't done. So, yeah, this is what we're left with. And, yeah, everything we do with women going forward here in this is so weird to me in the movie. It kind of throws the movie off for me overall now looking back on it. I think it's totally weird. Uh, It's really strange. And, and, um, I mean, you know me, it's like I, I think making a good movie is so hard. That it's just sort of like anything that serves the movie stays in the movie. And if it doesn't serve the story, then it shouldn't be in the movie, you know? And figuring out what does and doesn't serve the story is really, really hard. I was just thinking. You speak Yai's language. I don't. He's going to lead you back to the River Kwai himself by a route I never took. Will someone tell me why I'm so indispensable to this outfit? <laughs> Still trying to get out of it. Still yeah. Trying to get well, and the thing is, is that Shears is going to be indispensable to this outfit. Yeah. 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 Without Shears, they actually will not blow up the bridge. Right. So now we're going to hike through uh, the jungle. And I would say all of this is beautifully filmed. The locations are really, really cool. And I think from this point forward in the movie, I love everything that happens. But I would also say from a modern sensibility, it's slow. You know, yes, it is. It is. Yeah. Because you have six long shots of them trudging through the jungle when three shorter shots would have done, you know, yeah, yeah. to understand what's going on. And we have these moments, which is, you know, what you mentioned of Joyce looking at the girl and saying, you're lovely. Me lovely. And Shears walks by and says, be happy in your work. Which is a sight to a lot. And the thing, too, because the thing about these women bearers, they're just objects. They don't speak. That's what I'm saying. They're objects. Yeah, yeah. They have no dimensionality to them. Yeah. Uh, we get some leeches. Yeah. Uh, which I once had a couple of leeches on me. It's not Ooh. It's not fun. I was in, yeah, I was swimming in a river in Israel. It's weird to have a leech. 
Joyce is trying to get the radio to work, and it's not working. I can't seem to get a strong signal. I'll tell you what's wrong with it. It's wet, mildewed, corroded, rotten, like everything else in this rotten jungle. So before we get to what happens, would a British officer ever behave the way Shears is behaving right now? No, of course not, no. Well, I won't say, I mean, like, there could be all sorts of British officers. Maybe there was the one, but, like, his yeah. behavior is so not an I don't want to be here. I'm pissed off. It's yeah, yeah. bitching and moaning about your assignment, which yeah. is exactly what a swab second class would do, you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and, of course, kicking the radio gets it working again. You might as well jump. American ingenuity. And what they they finally do get a message in exactly they finally do get a message in uh, and the message says that the bridge is going to be ready to be open and there's going to be a special train with VIPs and officers on the 13th and they say you guys got to synchronize the blowing of the bridge with the train. If we set a faster pace we could make it before sundown on the 12th. It's worth having a go for the train don't you think? It sure says oh by all means good hunting good show jolly good fun jolly jolly good. And they say, if you hadn't fixed the radio, you wouldn't know about the train. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, blowing up the bridge with the train on it, not in the book. Oh, wow. Yeah. There are commandos, but they're going to blow up the bridge, not the train. Gotcha. Gotcha. Initially, in the movie, they weren't going to blow up the bridge with a train on it. They were just going to blow up the bridge. Right. Then (laughs) Sam Spiegel, the producer, gets a great deal on four train cars from the government or something and goes like, Hey guys, I can get a tree. You want to blow up the bridge with a train on it? Well, the thing is they were building a really flimsy bridge to start right, right. because there wasn't, any, nothing was ever going to have to go on it. Now they had to have a bridge that was strong enough to support a chain train. So it, the construction, of the bridge got way, way bigger to make this happen. Uh, speaking of the bridge, we're back there. Nicholson watches the men's work and then he heads to the hospital. We are facing a crisis. Yes, sir. I've just spoken with Reeves and Hughes, and we are not going to finish the bridge on time. Oh. We just have the manpower, that's all. I've asked the officers to lend a hand, and they've agreed, but even that won't do it. You mean the officers are going to work on the bridge? Yeah. <laughs> Which is what he was against <laughs> from the beginning. Oh. It's a perfect violation of his yeah. code. Yeah, of course. And, and it shows you that people in power will adhere to the rules as long as it serves them, and that when... The, the the shit hits the fan. Some of them, I would argue, a lot of them will break the same rules that they were telling you that they were 100% behind and would never break. Uh, and you're seeing it happen here in with Nicholson suggesting us. And it is the full transformation of Nicholson into Saito in this moment. Full transformation. Do, do you think that Nicholson even realizes it? No. I think he's like like... You know, like people talk about, once you've kind of bought into something, your mind completely changes, right? And like like we said earlier, him being in that um, oven, something happened to him. And I think yeah. it's kind of brilliant that Lean doesn't show us scenes of him in the oven, like, you know, those scenes that you would see in other films, Steve, where it's like, you know, like fade in, it's been days. He's like just- Malcolm, Like Malcolm X. Yeah, like Malcolm X or like uh, the hurricane, right? Hurricane, where we yeah. Denzel Washington- Start to flip out in 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 the in the prison and have conversations with himself um, as Reuben and Hurricane Carter and so seeing it here we don't have that so we have to extrapolate what we think might have happened in that oven and I think he absolutely like just went someplace else and of course his physicality coming out every time being worse and worse you can imagine what his mind was doing 
as well. So in this moment, when he makes this decision, it just seems so logical because of the new framework of his mind uh, ever since he came out of that oven, you know? It's funny. I, 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 this is not a worthy comparison. I don't mean to compare it in any way, but the, the, and yet I'm going to make this comparison now, um, which is there, there are similarities between military work and filmmaking work mm, because there's lot, lots of organization, lots of stress, not the hierarchy. level of stress. Of, yeah. Yeah. A hierarchy. And what I learned doing things like siren and doing like guerrilla kind of filmmaking early on is like, Oh, the only thing that matters is what goes in through that little lens. What's on the left yeah. of the lens doesn't matter. What's on the right of the lens, how we got the shot doesn't really matter. It's only that we got the shot. And so I've always been, it's not that I don't, when I teach film school, I teach the rules. This is how you're supposed to do it. Right. But I also go like, but sometimes those rules are an impediment to doing what you're actually, what is the goal? What am I trying to achieve? What I'm trying to achieve is a good movie. In this case, what they're trying to achieve is win the war. Yeah. Right. Whether if you if if I can if I can and I I think I've said this on the show before, if I can get a great performance out of you by making myself look like a fool, I will make myself look like a fool because what matters is your performance on what people think of me doesn't matter, you know. Yeah. Like like Nicholson at this point it's all about status and appearances and and these all that's all that matters to him. Yeah. Because it's not just the 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 having the officers work is hypocrisy. What he's about to do is a whole other level. Yeah. Why don't you ask Saito for some of his men? Wouldn't dream of it. No, this is our show. We must make the most of our own resources. As a matter of fact, that's what I came to talk to you about, the sick list. And we go, holy shit. Saito's threat to Clifton to try to get Nicholson out of the oven and give up was to threaten to force the people on the sick list to work, which would lead to their deaths. Yep. And now Nicholson is coming to do the same thing. Yep. And he start, and this is very Patton esque. Oh yeah, in his which we've done on the show, he is no medical professional, but he is going to decide who is faking being sick, in his opinion, and who is uh, actually sick. Uh, look here, sir. There's not a man in this hospital who doesn't belong there. Now, don't jump to conclusions. No reflection on you, but there are always a few malingerers, aren't there? Be honest now. Keep an open mind. That's all I ask. This is, and to use the word again sick uh, of mental mind for Nicholson to do this, which is why what this all leads to, this is the beginning of the, the fucking deep slide of Nicholson to the moment where he falls on top of the, uh, the detonator there. But it is, it, you know, it, it's a, how can I say it, Steve? I want to say this correctly. The construction and the pacing of how they get us to this moment. Cause like, we feel it's a tragedy that he is doing this and, but we're still sympathetic and we still care about Nicholson. When he starts to violate the rules that we were championing him standing by at the beginning of the movie, the first hour of the movie or so, that is when we start to lose the tragedy aspect of this all and start to actively root against him completing this bridge and wanting someone to stop him. You know? Yeah. It, it, it's such like a it, psycho in the first hour. Yeah. Exa- exactly. <laughs> I love he goes into the, you know, where the men are and he goes, oh, what's the matter with Haskins? Yeah. And Clinton says, he's got amoebic dysentery and blackwater fever. His temperature was 104 last night. Right. And Nicholson is a little bit disappointed. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like he has to acknowledge that I um, guess I can't make that work. Yeah, the next fine. <laughs> and the next one. Leg ulcers. I may be able to save the leg if I do some more cutting tonight. Do you really want to send him out to work, sir? He's looking around to find a man and finally. And that man there. His arm's infected. 
Most of them are so run down, their wounds won't heal properly. Yes, but I wonder in a case like his, if fresh air and light duties mightn't do him more good than being cooped up here. He's so fucking delusional. Yeah, delusional. It's a hubris. Yeah. Light duties? Yes, after all, it's not our policy to keep a man in hospital just because he's scratched his arm, is it? And, and to be really clear, in the jungle, a scraped arm could mean death. Yeah. Disinfection, because, yeah, of course. Yeah. It, it's a huge plot point in King Rat of one of the of the main character gets an infection and almost loses his arm. Like it's this is serious stuff. So now this this method isn't working for Nicholson. So he turns to one of the soldiers and says, "Tell me, you feel up to doing a little light work on the bridge?" And I love that this patient who's got an injury on his arm or something looks to Clifton. Yeah, and Clifton doesn't help because there's really nothing he can do, and he says, "Anything you say, sir? Sure." Does it's an obvious question, but does this guy feel up to doing some work on the bridge? No, no. And now he addresses the men. It goes without saying, I'm proud of all of you, but we are facing a crisis. And for those of you who feel up to it, how about lending the others a hand? Eh? Fetch and carry a spot of paint here and there. What do you say? And the music rises, and it is triumphant music in its way. Yeah. And to this rousing music. The wounded men slowly get up as we track them marching outside of the hut through the graveyard back to the bridge. And to me, it's the contrast of the triumphant music with what we're seeing. And these men are being courageous. You know what I mean? Yeah. They are being tough and courageous and it is tragic. Yeah. 100%. And I just want to say one more thing about this is that this isn't even about completing the bridge. This isn't even about building a, a better bridge than the Japanese could build. This is about making the date so the Japanese train with Japanese officers can cross over the bridge on time. I'll go one better. This is about Nicholson's ego. Oh, yeah. 100%. 100%. And, of course, who is watching? This person who's become kind of a specter throughout this film at this point is Saito watches this. Yeah. What's, what's going through his head as he watches... The officers start to work and the sick people now march out of the hospital to go work on the bridge. Well, I mean, it's I, it's a good question because is he looking at this like, wow, he got them to do what I couldn't get them to do. So am I even more of a failure than I think? Or is he looking at this as what, looking at his own behavior mirrored back at him? And maybe because, you, as we said earlier, he was an artist who was forced to join the military. Maybe this is a, a real eye-opening experience, and just maybe. And look, I'm extrapolating, so I'm I'm uh, making my own analysis at this moment on the on the spot. Is that maybe this is actually what leads to the seppuku, it, or the desire to seppuku, is not the shame necessarily, because he is going to get the bridge done on time. It is uh, watching his behavior mirrored back at him through Nicholson, and the shame he must feel of the things he was making other people do and how he was disregarding the humanity of other people simply because they had surrendered or they were from the opposite side of the fence. I, I, I'm also going to extrapolate in this moment yeah. because I kind of go back and again, we, we don't really know what Saito's background is, but right. my guess is his father served in the military the way that Hayakawa's father did. He didn't want to do this. He was forced to do this, but I think and I think he obviously was uh, came from some kind level of privilege because otherwise he wouldn't be an officer. He wouldn't have been able to go study in London. 
And from those positions, you'd go like, I'm sure I'd be a good, I'd be a good officer. You know what I mean? I could do the thing. And so he comes to do the thing. And then a, the thing doesn't go very well for him. He's actually not that good at it. And then he's now watching this guy who's his enemy do the thing way better than he ever could have done. Right. You know? And so it's, there's this weird, like, oh, I'm succeeding. The bridge is getting built. We're building a great bridge. Hmm. On that sense, I'm winning. But on this other sense, I'm totally shamed by this person. Constantly and consistently shamed. Because I have nothing to do with it. And I'm aware that I have nothing to do with it. Yeah. The bridge is, in fact, getting built better without me Yeah, Yeah. than it was when I was doing stuff. I am worthless. You know? We go to this sequence that I will say I think is beautifully filmed, Mm. is very interesting and just i don't understand it which is the women are soaping up the guys and they're frolicking naked way in the background and there's it's weirdly romantic and i i don't get it yeah none of it i don't even want to talk about it so yeah we can move on well the only thing i want to talk about is that what happens which is really well done is this giggling uh young woman is running away and runs right into a japanese soldier And this turn, I think, is great. I, I I think the scene is weird, but going from the idyllic scene into, you know, she screams when she sees the Japanese, and then our guys just wipe them out. And we cut to this shot of blood all over the rocks. The huge number of bats fly away, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, by the way, they got the bats to all to fly by firing a bunch of rifles. <laughs> and what you don't see in the film, but apparently was fairly disgusting, is when all these bats took off, they all urinated, and so oh. everyone was covered in hot bat piss. Oh, shit. Yeah. Nice. Um, but the shot of the blood in the water and the dead Japanese is very powerful, and there's yes. one guy left, and Joyce and uh, Warden head off to kill him. Use your knife, man, or we'll be shooting each other. This is how you set things up. Yeah. Setup number one is he doesn't use his knife quickly enough on shears when he tackles him. Right. Setup number two, will you be able to use this knife in cold blood? I don't know, sir. Now we're in the third part. We have to use our knives. Again, I would say, you know, we've gone so far in filmmaking today to the action side of things that we really don't do what this is, which is the slow tension, mm-hmm. you know, as we're hunting for this soldier. It's all really well done. I also think it's a little bit slow. Mm-hmm. And Joyce is chasing the soldier. And then the soldier pops up right in front of him. And it's a kid. Yeah. The hesitation. Yep. Is everything. And I think it's per, it's the perfect amount of hesitation. Yeah. Because it's it's he has a shocked moment and then he doesn't have time to change his hesitation. He might have stabbed him in the next moment, we don't know. Yeah, which he says, yeah. Yeah. But Warden comes out of nowhere and kills him. Yeah. And in that moment we hear a gunshot. Yeah. And Warden straightens up. And of course, he already knows that he's been shot in the yeah. foot, in the ankle. And you see that he's in pain. And, and Joyce is giving explanation. He says, I could have done it. I was ready. Are you hit, sir? Let's go. And again, it's a great shot is that you see him walk away. You see his foot move. You see the blood left behind. Yeah. And you also, the blood is left on a photograph that was obviously this Japanese soldiers. Yeah. You only see it for a second. And maybe it was his mother or something. Maybe. You know, but, and that's a, a, an unnecessary detail that's great, you know? Well, I think it is very necessary to reinforce the anti-war aspect. Mm, totally. So, yeah, to show that, yeah, look, there's other sides. 
even on the other side, they have mothers, they have girlfriends, they have wives, they have people who believe in them, and they're just serving their country. You know, not, not that doesn't explain everything away, but certainly uh, in that moment, it's it's kind of brilliant to do this in the right near the end of this movie. Well, this movie never really wants you to just go. The Japanese are the evil enemy. Right. Yeah. They show. You know? it. Yeah. It's much more nuanced than that. Yeah. Like you meet the first uh, captain that uh, shears bribes with the yeah. lighter. Like yeah. that guy's not a evil enemy guy. Right. Saito, obviously, now Saito's a bad guy who's done terrible things. But we've said how much sympathy we feel through him throughout this film. And now we have this kid, you know? Yeah. He's looking at his ankle. No, it's superficial. Maybe a chipped bone, but there's nothing broken. And I love the moment of Joyce saying, It's my fault, sir. Oh, shut up, Joyce. And he's going to walk on it. And now we have this, again, quite long marching sequence of Warden desperately trying to keep up as he's limping along. Yeah. And it's really brutal. There's some beautiful, beautiful shots in this. Yeah. And he's getting farther and farther behind. And finally, Shears and Joyce have stopped to let him catch up. I didn't give all this for a halt. We all need it. We're still five hours fast march from the objective. You keep walking on that foot, you'll bleed to death. Warden says... Yeah. He acknowledges that that is true and says... You're going to leave me here. So he is ready to sacrifice his life. Do you think he'd take the L pill after they leave him? Probably, yeah. That's what I think too. Uh, and Joyce argues with Warden, and I love this moment. I think it's brilliant. He says... If you were in my shoes, Joyce, I wouldn't hesitate to leave you here, and you know that. He doesn't know it, but I do. You'd leave your own mother here if the rules call for it. And what I like is that he orders them to go on without them and then says Shears is in command. So he puts the non-officer yeah. Yeah. in command over the officer. And now Shears, now in command, refuses to obey the order. I won't obey that order. And he says, and I think Holden is great in this moment. You make me sick with your heroics. There's a stench of death about you. You carry it in your pack like the plague. Explosives and L pills, they go well together, don't they? And with you, it's just one thing or the other. Destroy a bridge or destroy yourself. Do you think that's right? It's about completing the mission, right? And he's a guy who is, I would imagine, risen in the ranks because he can complete these kinds of missions and has sacrificed other people to complete these missions. So it's a bit of a simplistic um, analysis of Warden, but it's not necessarily off base. I think... I, actually, I'm gonna let's let's hear the next line, and then I'll t tell you. What I think so. The next line is: "This is just a game. This war. You and that Colonel Nicholson. You're two of a kind. Crazy with courage for what? How to die like a gentleman? How to die by the rules? When the only important thing is how to live like a human being?" Which, first of all, fucking great, great, great line. Yeah. So the first thing I would say is I think there is a huge difference between Warden and Nicholson. Yes, because for. Nicholson, it's just status. It's just the rules. Right. I think Warden would be fascinating to have a conversation on Oriental, on Asian literature, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think Warden has a sense of humor. Re yeah. And remember, Saito asks Nicholson, do you know Japanese? And Nicholson right. doesn't in oh. arrogance. But Warden does. And Warden has studied it. He knows his enemy. He respects his enemy, which is different than Nicholson. Uh, uh, it's a great point. I never connected that before. That's a great, great point. I think Warden is fun. Yes. I think Warden enjoys things right. in life. Yes. You know, and Warden, you know, Nicholson cares about the letter of the law and officers and ranks. Warden cares about blowing up the bridge. 
Right. He doesn't care what rank Shears is. Like, it doesn't make it. If Shears can help him blow up the bridge, then that's great. I think they are very different. But I also think this the end of Shears' line. When the only important thing is how to live like a human being. He's the imperfect messenger for this message, but it's that doesn't mean the message isn't still powerful. And it is an anti-war message for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which is that war is crazy and war is crazy. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that there aren't valid reasons why we've gone to war. There are yeah. many, many, because that's, you know, if you don't put yourself in the position to, if you didn't start the war and someone's fighting a war on you, well, you got to fight the war back. Yeah. But war is an insane thing that humans do. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to leave you here to die, Warden, because I don't care about your bridge and I don't care about your rules. If we go on, we go on together. In other words, Shears, his heroic moment yeah. is to do the opposite of what Nicholson does. Yeah. I don't care about the bridge. I don't care about the rules. I care about human beings. Yeah. You know? And then the women show up with a, a I think it's called a travoy or something like that, uh, you know, to carry him. And Warden, I love Warden's like, kind of, fuck you. You're not, I'm not going to get carried by the women. And then he tries to get up and walk. And in one step, he's down on his knees. And now Shears is fully in command, you know? Yeah. And so now we have, again, a long sequence of carrying Warden up the hill. Back at the bridge, we see that it's finished. And what I wrote here is that this is an amazing setup for a collision of wills and characters. Yep. yep. You have all of these things coming together at this point. And what's so great about it is there isn't any way to feel that feels 100% correct. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because you want them to blow up the bridge. Right. But you also still care a lot about Nicholson. You know, like you're in this weird and and you you care about Shears who couldn't give a shit about the bridge. You care about Warden. You care about Joyce who needs to redeem himself. You care about all these things. Everybody's a tragic figure. Yeah. That's what's great about the movie is that every, including Saito, everyone oh, yeah. is a tragic figure in this film who is caught up in this. That's why people protesting or people having issues with it, it's really short-sighted thinking. This is a larger story that is being told through these people as vessels to send the message out about this movie and about the book as well. This idea of the mania of law, the mania of rules and what it can lead to and the madness that it can cause in the theater of war, you know? And I think that's really important to take from the situation. So you have to care about all the characters involved because if you just had a mustache twirling evil, it wouldn't have the power and effect that, uh, that ha- creating a character who was much more, uh, has much more levels to them uh, can cause when you're watching a movie like this. Well, it's like in Raiders of the Lost Ark and Last Crusade, mm. the Nazis are the bad guys. Yes. And I love those movies. Right. Those are great for the, those kinds of movies. Yes. yes. They're great. I love them. I watch them all the time. The, I don't think in a deep way about Raiders of the Lost Ark. I go, that was great. I had a blast. Whereas here, you're going to walk away and go, oh man, it's a lot to reckon with. It's also why neither of those films are best pictures, no matter what people say. Good, yeah. Well, I think I, I, you know, I don't think ever on this show would we denigrate any genre of film. No. But there's a certain kind of movie that I go that should be a that is a best picture kind of movie, and Kwai is it. You know, this is the kind of film that you know if they're great, that's the that's what best pictures should be yeah. for me. I love the moment where we get, we're looking down at the bridge. We've gotten there and Shear says, Feeling better? Yeah. You're in command again now, you know. Thank you, Major. I think the Major is key. Yeah, I agree. Because, and again, Nicholson would never have done this, is Warden goes, 
You totally disobeyed my order. You forced me to do a thing I didn't want to do. You were right. I was wrong. Thank you, Major. Yeah. And then uh, all, all this stuff is so great. He says, I can't understand it. It's such a solid, well-designed job. Not like the temporary bridges the enemy usually throws together. Because from their perspective, oh my God, these poor British soldiers were forced to make this beautiful work so much harder on this beautiful bridge. And they look down and they see a British officer on his hands and knees doing work. And they're like, oh, they forced the officers to work. And the Japanese seem to be enjoying it. So they're totally misinterpreting what it is that they're seeing. Mm. And what, of course, is actually happening is Nicholson is on his knees as they finish this plaque that they put up that says, this bridge was designed and constructed by soldiers of the British Army. And it has the date and it says Colonel Nicholson commanding. It's just like, here's treason. You know, to me, it's almost like um, his. What do you call it? Oh yeah, it's it's the inscription on his headstone. That's oh yeah, his, it's epitaph. Yeah, plaque is the epitaph on his headstone. 100%. Yep. Yep. Well, and this is the bridge is his tomb. So uh, yeah, totally, hundred um, percent. And what they talk about is like, if we just wanted to bro- blow up the bridge, we could just set our explosives, set a timer, and get the hell out. But they can't do that because of timing. And so they're figuring out their strategy, which is, and one of the things that's going to happen is the bridge is going to have to be blown from the other side of the river for some reason that I don't quite understand. I think because there's nowhere to hide. Which means that after the bridge goes up, some dude's going to have to swim back across the river in all the chaos. It's not likely to be a pleasant swim. And sir, I was the best swimmer in my course. Yeah. Well, it looks like your line of country then. Joyce is going to have to swim back across the river. Shears is going to, and Yai are going to cover him. And on the theory that there's always one more thing to do, I'll set up the mortar here to create an additional diversion if necessary. Or perhaps I might even take a few pot shots at the train. And now Warden and Shears are alone, and Warden stops Shears and says, You know, if it wasn't for my ankle, I'd take Joyce's assignment. It's interesting to me that Warden feels the need to justify himself to Shears. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of changed. Mm -hmm. Do you think you'll be all right? I think so. Want me to handle it? which is Shears volunteering for a dangerous mission. Because despite all the things we might say about him, he does have real courage and he does Mm -hmm. have, you know, like I think under in these circumstances, he can be a really good soldier. Well, once he realizes who Warden actually is, Mm. this is what changes him. He's willing to serve under Warden because Warden in a way has proved himself by his um, respect for Shears from the beginning, by offering him the major stuff, by not throwing him in the brig, by e- even though he dragged him out there for this, seeing how different he is from Nicholson, because I don't think Shears ever respected Nicholson, but Warden for sure he respects because it's uh, it's come on through the relationship, you know. So now he's willing to be heroic, and I imagine he was heroic. In the crash, when the ship sank and everything, yeah, totally. he might have saved the officer. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. We went, ended up on the beach with, you know. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, because well, you know what it is. Nicholson's about rules. Shears yes. is about people. Yes, right. He, he cares about Joyce. He cares. Yep. About, he's now he's come to care about Warden, and Warden has come to care about him. He says, "When it's over, I hope you get that medical discharge, and not the hard way." And now we have a sequence, which is intercut between them on a raft sailing down the river with all of their explosives and sunset on the bridge. Yeah. Nicholson walking across the bridge. Obviously this is all beautiful cinematography. It looks um, 
amazing. And there's a feeling of contentment. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just very, he's happy with the bridge. He feels a success on some level. Right. And there's Saito. Yeah. The scene between the two of them is just fascinating. Beautiful. Yes, beautiful. A first rate job. So now Saito is standing behind. Nicholson is kind of on the railing, leaning forward, looking out at the river. And then we have this moment where I think he shares more honesty about himself. Yeah. With Saito. I, has he ever had a conversation like this? I don't know. It's a great question. I don't know if he's ever had a conversation like this. It's it's incredible. I, I, I don't think maybe once, maybe once or twice, you know, maybe, maybe to a school chum at Oxford or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or, or maybe drunk one night with one of his officers and swore him to secrecy the next day and, and didn't quote unquote, didn't remember it happened. Maybe. Although I, I can't imagine Nicholson getting drunk with his officers. <laughs> He seems like the kind of guy that always has knows exactly when to stop, you know. Yeah, maybe. Might be right. um, but, you know, anyway, he says, I've been thinking. Tomorrow it will be 28 years to the day that I've been in the service. 28 years in peace and war. I don't suppose I've been at home more than 10 months in all that time. Still, it's been a good life. I mean, that is just, just that part right there is a yeah. huge reveal. Because you don't. You don't bring up a thing like that, even if you say I wouldn't have had it any other way, unless you're having regrets and thoughts and doubts, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And the camera pushes past Saito towards him. Again, he's only in profile. And it's a profile from behind, so it's it's a you don't see much of his face. But there are times suddenly you realize you're nearer the end than the beginning. I'm like, dude, you're way nearer the end. <laughs> you don't have long left. It's great foreshadowing, yeah. And you wonder, you ask yourself what the sum total of your life represents. What difference your being there at any time made to anything? Or if it made any difference at all, really? I don't think Nicholson would have ever entertained or pretends that he never entertains some of the things that Shears thinks about. Mm-hmm. That all this is bullshit. This stuff doesn't have meaning. That I am just, I'm just a slave, you know, a living slave. And in this moment, he is kind of going, oh, wait, what difference does any of this make? Yeah. Yeah. And then this next line is so revealing. Particularly in comparison with other men's careers. That is a line of like, he has watched other people go past him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Someone who maybe was his inferior officer is now a general, and he's not. I don't know whether that kind of thinking is very healthy, but I must admit I've had some thoughts on those lines from time to time. I think he's had those thoughts more than from yeah. time to time, by the way. And then in the mo- this moment, because this is trying, this is him saying, but the bridge does have meaning. Building this bridge was meaning. It was real meaning. At that moment is when he drops his stick the same kind of symbol of command that Saito broke at yeah. the beginning of the movie into the quad. So Alec Guinness was furious about this shot. Wow. Why? Because he's like, this is the heart. This is the most revealing the character is. And you're not shooting my face. <laughs> like he was like, you need, I'm looking out. There's no way to see my face saying all this stuff. Yeah. And there are, I've heard two stories about what David lean did at this moment. Okay. So one story is in the behind the scenes footage, you know, where you have people who worked on the film talking about it. Yeah. And the other story was something that I read on Wikipedia. And the story that's in the behind the scenes footage is 
trust me, Alec, when you see the final picture, you'll understand. <laughs> it's a totally fine thing for a director to say. Yeah. In Wikipedia, it said that when they finished shooting this scene, Lean said, now you can all fuck off and go home, you English actors. Thank <laughs> God I'm starting work tomorrow with an American actor because he was going to shoot the Holden stuff. <laughs> and it could be they're both true. Yeah. You know? Very true. <laughs> but and then and I totally picture him also saying, Oh, and by the way, Alec, you're not my first choice. You know? <laughs> not my first choice. Just so we <laughs> just, just remember. Uh so he drops his stick and he's upset. And then he turns over to Saito and I almost go, I don't think he even realized he was talking to Saito at a certain point in this. Yeah. Yeah. He might've been talking to himself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also think this, he has no contemporary. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He's constructed a world where there is no contemporary. None of the officers can question him because he always shoots them down or makes them passive aggressive shot. So with Saito, he at least thinks in some fucked up way, maybe because as we said, since he came out of the oven, he's been on this slow conversion to becoming Saito. He almost feels a kinship with Saito, so Saito would understand. So he can reveal himself to Saito, seeing him as a fellow commander of men, and his men at times. So maybe these are the reasons he's opening up in the way he is to, to Saito in, the, in this scene. Well, and I think Saito has had every single one of these thoughts. Yes, right. Ag- agreed. Both. Yes, both. Yeah, I'm sure Saito's been passed up. I'm sure Saito. Of course he has. He was assigned this camp as like, make it work here or else you're done. You know? Yeah. Well, and what does my life mean? And has it has it hmm. mattered? You know, like, I don't think that Nicholson has any insight into what Saito is thinking. I don't think no. he knows that. But I think Saito listening to this goes like, yeah, I get all this. Yeah. yeah. I must be off. The men are preparing some sort of entertainment. So he heads off and Saito is left alone on the bridge. And now we're going to intercut again, the rafts going down the river Kwai, planting their explosives, leading the wire, you know, mining the bridge, setting up the the position where Joyce is going to be setting up the position where uh, Yai and William Holden are going to be. And that is intercut with the show. And they really did these kinds of shows. This is totally something that they did. I'm, and I just want to point out, what are the men doing? The men are in drag. Yeah. Because drag, ladies and gentlemen, is something that has existed throughout the history of theatrical entertainment, just so yeah. we all know. Yeah. Since Shakespeare, if not before. Way before. Way before. People have always dressed up in clothes of other people. That's just like, that's normal. Anyway. Uh, but I also think Tropic Thunder, which we did to start this whole military uh section of our year remember or yeah of this season of the season of the cinema remember there is that when he's doing simple jack and the the guy who is next to him the the other asian guy who is next to him um he is dressed up in the grass skirt and the coconut bra or whatever or the yeah and those are what the guys are wearing so i wonder if they were sending up this Mm. scene these scenes from the kwai in that movie uh, by having uh, that guy dressed up like that, because this is a ridiculous scene, a ridiculous scene. So there's also a moment, by the way, where we're sort of the the Joyce and Shears and Yai are all saying goodbye to their girls. Yeah. You know, and again, it just feels added on and strange. We've had no time with this relationship. (laughs) Like why would we care? Yeah, exactly. Saito 
And this is maybe the most ambiguous part of the movie, because I think you're right. I think he is preparing to kill himself. Oh, he's absolutely going to kill himself. Uh, Yeah, yeah, 100%. We see he's like writing a poem. He has his knife. He cuts off like his top knot, you know, like these are all very symbolic things. And I'll just say, like, as they're mining the bridge, the tension is maintained beautifully. I do think it goes on a really long time, but like of the guards walking along the bridge and them trying to be quiet as they're doing the work below. And and also, by the way, I think it's cool that they built a model bridge as the set on the on the play. Yeah. And Nicholson gets up and makes a speech. And it is a great speech on how hard everyone's worked and how proud he is of them and how sad he is that he won't be there. They won't all be there to see the bridge used for the first time, which again shows how out of touch he is. Yeah, 100 percent. And he says, and this is really interesting. This shows a real insight into humans and i think he's also talking about himself because nicholson says now that your work here is finished i suppose many of you feel somewhat let down that's quite understandable it's a very natural reaction but one day in a week a month a year or that day when god willing we all return to our homes again you're going to feel very proud of what you have achieved here in the face of great adversity. What you have done should be, and I think will be, an example to all our countrymen, soldier and civilian alike. You have survived with honor. That and more. Here in the wilderness, you have turned defeat into victory. What are your feelings with this speech? It's, as you said, it's a beautiful speech. And I think it's, well, I think the way the film is constructed, it, it makes sense to do the speech here. Because when we saw him sliding into the mania and questioning the soldiers, uh, the sick soldiers' fitness and mm-hmm. all this stuff, we weren't liking him too much. But then we get this self-reflective moment on the bridge, and we start to see a little bit more of Nicholson, right? And by the way, we haven't had any kind of quiet moments with Nicholson. We've had plenty of private moments with Saito to develop mm-hmm. the sympathy for Saito. With Nicholson, this is as close to a private moment as we get with him in this conversation with Saito. So now we start to maybe feel or, or or go back to feeling the sympathy for him that we felt at the beginning of the movie. And then he delivers the speech, which is really sweet. So this is a smart construction script-wise and directing-wise to reacquaint ourselves back again with feeling sympathy for Nicholson so that when he finds, which we're going to get to here in a second, when he finds the wire and starts, and, and essentially almost uh, foils their plans and he falls on the detonator, it has much more resonance because we were able to glimpse again the humanity behind Nicholson. Well, and I think in this speech, I mean, this is, everything he says is basically true. Like you you can have people that did work really hard and did heroic things under difficult conditions and have that be all for the wrong cause. Right. You know, it's Nicholson saying to do it that was wrong. It's not what the men did. What they did was everything that Nicholson says that it was. Yep, 100%. So we set Joyce up in his spot, and Shears is with him. Fester says there's always one more thing to do. I can't think of what it could be, except to wish you a long and happy life. Thank you. And they shake hands. Yeah. And Shears swims back across the river to Yai. They're all set up. And then it's morning. And Warden looks down and there's a great set. They do a great job of making you feel like something's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Something's not right. 
And what we realize is the river has gone down, which, as I said, this happened regularly with this river would go up and down and that now the wires are exposed. And I love Joyce looking and seeing that there's all that wire on the beach in front of him and just like as quietly as possible, trying to toss a little bit of sand to bury the wire. We have a ceremony cutting the ribbon to open up the bridge and the men march off whistling. I, lo- I love that Shear smiles because his introduction to these men was them whistling as they came into camp. That's and now true. they're whistling heading out of camp. Yeah. And Warden says, and they're all separated, so Warden can't communicate with Joyce. And he goes, Don't wait for the train. Do it now. But Joyce, all alone, he knows the orders are to blow up the train. And so he's waiting. And we see Clifton and Nicholson on the tracks. And Clifton says, you know what? I don't want to be here for the train coming. I'll I'll go up and watch it from somewhere else. Why? You'll get a better view from the bridge. It's hard to explain, sir, but I'd rather not be a part of it. As you please. Honestly, Clifton, sometimes I don't understand you at all. Nicholson is just so delusional. Yeah, still delusional, even though we've had these sweet moments with him, still delusional. But Clifton, smartly, Clifton's like the guy. Clifton's like yep. Bill Murray dropping the clubs after the lightning hits um <laughs> after the lightning hits the Reverend on in Caddyshack. He says, I don't want to be here for this. I'm getting out of here. Um, because I don't want to be court martialed along with the rest of you. Yeah. Again, another historic moment on the Cinephiles. This is the first ever Caddyshack Kwai comparison. Um <laughs> so and there's a really interesting moment, by the way. Everything's kind of getting ready. The train We know the train is almost here. We see Joyce is readying the plunger. Morden is ready with the mortar. And then Saito pulls out his knife. Do you think he was going to commit suicide as the train, like right now, like yeah. in front of everyone? Yes. Yes. Wow. And it's subtle. Like it really isn't mm-hmm. a thing that Lean is trying to make everyone get. But I think that's what's happening too. Yep. 100%. And Nicholson is looking around and then he sees the wire. And he's trying to figure out what it's doing and the train is coming. And I think the tension build is just amazing. So well done. Yeah. And they see Nicholson see the wire and they're like, what the hell is he doing? He's walking up to the Japanese. Colonel, there's something rather odd going on. I think we better have another look around before that train comes across. So Saito, who was about to kill himself, we think, is now not going to do that because they head down to the water. He's gone mad. He's leading them right to it. I love the way they shoot him finding the wire and lifting it up. And you see the wire come out of the sand, curving back towards Joyce. Yeah. And Joyce, no idea what to do. (laughs) Like, I think at this point, my gut is if it had just been the Japanese coming to find them, he wouldn't, he actually wouldn't hesitate and would kill them. Right. But now it's a British officer and a Japanese officer coming towards him. Yeah. And we see the train for the first time. It's coming. They're getting real close to Joyce. And we hear Shear say, You've got to do it, boy. You've got to do it now. Pulls out his knife to, like, demonstrate. Colonel Saito, have you a knife? I've just realized the bridge has been mined. Mine? And at that moment, Joyce does come out of the rocks with the knife and kills Saito. Good boy. Yeah. So do you feel sympathy for Saito that he gets killed in this way? No, actually, in a weird way, I don't. Yeah, because uh, it's so, you know what? I do. uh, I guess I do. That's why this movie is so complicated, though. That's why I'm hesitating, because I'm glad that Joyce got to redeem himself on some level. It is totally the right choice in terms of. Saito is the bad guy. And I also, in like Saito, 
was going to kill himself. And in some ways, this is, he got to die like a soldier. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I have this, so that's why I have these really weird set of complicated feelings about it. What's, what's your feeling? Yeah. I think what you said there is my feeling that the, he, he was set to take his own life. It seems like having shears kill him, uh, and stab him from behind, by the way, yeah. uh, ends up giving him an honorable death for his family. Yeah. So in a way for all the negative stuff that Saito did, and I'm sure there are, he did some negative stuff in the war. We've gotten to know him as a character in the construct of this film. So there's sympathy here. So his death is much more of a tragedy when we see it, but also a tragedy that in the end probably works for Saito's family and Saito's legacy in this way. So, And then we go from here because Shears is completely shocked that Nicholson is pissed off about this. Well, it's, you know, he, well. Yeah. I mean, it's a, you have these multiple things go on because, by the way, I love that Shears like matches the movements as he kills Saito. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then who? Nobody could expect the moment that happens next with these Joyce's explaining to Nicholson, "Hey, we're British officers here to blow up the bridge," and Nicholson goes, "Blow up the blow bridge!" Up the bridge? <laughs> British commando orders, "Blow up the bridge!" Yes, look out! The oh! Oh! And he attacks Joyce. Yes, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. He is fighting his own men to protect the bridge he built for the Japanese. Yeah. And 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 Joyce doesn't I mean Joyce has a knife. I, I think Joyce could easily overpower and kill Nicholson. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a trained commando, he's a young guy. Yeah. And but he's like what do I do, you know? And Shears stands up and yells, "Kill him! Kill him!" <laughs> And this is the thing. Shears, who is not volunteered, not volunteered. I don't want to be part of it. I don't want to be a soldier. I don't. I just want to be on the beach with the nurse. Yeah. Jumps into the river and starts swimming to help because he's going to be heroic in this moment. Yep. Because he cares about Joyce, you know, and he cares about doing the right thing on some level. And we have these interesting cuts. And again, I understand what Lean's trying to do, which is each of the women that were attached to each of the men yeah. sort of looks up as bad things happen. Yeah, in close up. Yeah. Yeah. Because... Joyce gets shot because now the, all the Japanese guards have opened up and fired. And so the woman who was Joyce's woman, who he called lovely, looks up at that moment. Yeah. And Nicholson turns him over and sees the blood on this British officer. And this is, we can never know exactly what is happening in Nicholson's head, but I think this is one of the moments, you yeah. know. This is the beginning of yeah. Isaac. Yeah. Warden's firing with a mortar, Shears is swimming. Nicholson sees his come up. Shears gets shot like in the leg. And by the way, this timing is great because you actually see the guy who shoots him. You see the go- the smoke yeah. as the rifle goes up and then he goes down, yeah. which coordinating on a river with someone swimming on a big set with a whole bunch of shit going on, getting that timing perfect is not, that's hard. Yeah. And he limps towards Nicholson, dodges one Jap- uh, Japanese soldier who attacks him. He gets shot again in the back and is now crawling. Shears, the guy who didn't want to be a hero in any way, is now crawling with the last of his energy towards Nicholson. Yeah. And Nicholson recognizes him. You. Yeah, so great. And Shears, with his last breath, says, you. You. Yeah, the disdain. Yeah. The rule breaker versus the rule enforcer in that moment. Yeah. And well, and, and the rule enforcer has turned become the enemy. It's, yes. it's, it's yes. his fault that Joyce is dead. It's his fault that Shears is dead. They, Who knows if they would have survived this 
normally, but Nicholson built a fucking bridge for the Japanese. Like the, 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 he is this heroic, brave person. You know, what did Shear say in earlier in the movie? That kind of courage is going to get us all killed. Yeah. Yeah. And that is what is happening. The train is almost there. The, the, the tension is built beautifully. And one of the elements building it is the rising, growing sound of the train, which is yeah. now really close. Takes off his hat and says, What have I done? One of the great acting moments in history. 100%. Like, yeah. you know, Nicholson, I mean, uh, Alec Guinness could complain about that moment with the um, stick going down and you're not seeing his face, but it's because you need this moment. This is the moment where you need the camera on the actor's face. And it is so well delivered. And he heads towards the plunger and then an explosion hits, a mortar hits and he goes down. Yeah. And he stands shakily, grabs his hat, cleans his, it's sort of on his pants leg, yeah. which is a gesture we've seen him do before. And this to me, this is like Spock straightening his shirt yeah. as he stands up in Rathacon. You I know? was going to say that 100%. The, the, the uh, straightening up, uh, the unnecessary straightening up. Yeah. Because that is what you are, have to default to in order to retain some level of normalcy in your mind as you're doing this. You know? And he walks stumbling. Again, uh, Alec Guinness's physicality is just yeah. Great. His eyes are kind of rolling up his, his head. He falls spinning onto the plunger, knocking it down and dying as the bridge blows up. Yeah. And the train goes right into the water. So I think you and I interpret this moment in the same way, based on what you said before. But in the script... There is no motivation given for him. It just says he falls unconscious on the plunger. Yeah. On the day, they're sitting around at lunch. They haven't shot it yet. And they're going, well, does he do it on purpose or is it an accident? And they debate it. And in the end, they go, I don't I don't have an answer. Don't worry about it. That's what Lean says. He <laughs> says, we, we don't know. There's one of the huge fans of this movie, and unsurprisingly, he's one of the bonus features on the disc, is John Milius. Oh, nice. Which, you know, obviously, you could totally see why Milius is in this movie. John Milius is convinced that this is an accident, that he didn't intend to blow up the bridge. He stood up, and then he fell unconscious, just happened to fall on the thing. Yeah. I've always thought it was on purpose. What is your feeling? It's an accident. You think it's, he wasn't intending to blow up I think it wasn't intended. I think he, I think he had every intention to, like figure out what to do next, which is why he got up. And it was instinctual to get up and try to walk away from this attack. But his body gives out and he falls on this thing. So to me, that's what I see. I don't think it's intentional because we don't see a shot of the camera looking at the plunger from his point of view. We don't see him notice the, noticing the plunger. So I like that it fits the theme of the movie the randomness and madness of war that he would fall on this, but it is a befitting end for him because at the end of the day, although he did slide into Saito territory, he is a man of honor. And so dying in this way is an honorable death, just like Saito's death was an honorable death for his code. This is an honorable death for Nicholson's code. And I think that's uh, why um, uh, Lean gives him this death in the, 
in the in the movie in this just, way. Just just to be clear, um, because I think this is such an amazing moment, and it is ambiguous. Yeah. In your mind, he's made no conscious decision to blow up the bridge. No, no, it just happened to work out this way. Do I think he would have let them blow up the bridge if he had not gotten hit by the mortar and realized what was going on and fully understood what was going on? Yes, I think he would have let him blow up the bridge. But in this moment, I think it's an accident that he falls on it. But it's a happy accident. See, in my interpretation, and by the way, there's no question in my mind that he is out before he yeah. lands on that plunger. Totally like that, yeah. that was not conscious volition. In my mind, it was because he says, what have I done? Yeah. In my mind, he had decided, oh, I have to blow up the bridge before that happened. But there's no way for us to know. You know what I mean? And that's what's, this is, again, this is why it's a deep movie. This is why it's a movie that you can come back to and come back to and come back to yeah. and go, well, what does this mean? I mean, Joyce is dead. Nicholson's dead. Uh, Shears is dead. Yeah. Saito is dead. The bridge is dead. And we're like left with like, okay, what was this? And just like um, Takashi Shimura, just like Takashi Shimura at the end of Seven Samurai, it is uh, Warden who once again survives the mission. Yeah. Right. Great point. Yeah, totally great point. Well, and this is Samurai's 56, and this is 57, I yeah, think. Yeah, right. I mean, they're, whichever, they're, they're really close to each other. That's a really interesting point. Um, so let's talk about blowing up this bridge. <laughs> um, so first of all, again, you've spent nine months building this bridge yeah. for one shot. Yeah. So you have to get this shot right. And it's really a big explosion. You got a train coming. There's a set of timing. And so this is, and you have to make sure that this is safe. So this is how it was all set up. You had multiple people in multiple positions who had to flip a switch to make a light light up on a board to say things were safe. So a cameraman gets the shot set up. They roll the camera and then they get behind a barrier and then they would flip the switch to say that I'm now safe. Right. The guy who's running the train, there's really a dude on the train. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. has to jump off the fucking train while it's moving and get behind a barrier and flip a switch to say, hey, I'm safe. Right, right. So everybody's really stressed out about this. I think there's how many cameras? Uh, I think they had six cameras on this thing. Wow. So they say, you know, action. All the cameramen flip their switch. The train is moving across the bridge. The guy jumps off the train, flips their switch, and there's one cameraman who was so fucking stressed out that he did everything correctly and he forgot to flip the switch. Oh, my God. So now you have the train and there's the dude with the actual plunger <laughs> and he's sitting there and he's got light comes on, light comes on, light comes on, no light. And the train is on the bridge and he goes, I can't stop the train. You know, I can't blow up the bridge because somebody's not safe. But the thing is, there's nobody on the train. <laughs> so you have a train, and this is just an old-fashioned, you know, yeah. coal-fire train. The train is accelerating <laughs> across the bridge. <laughs> and there's nothing on, there's no tracks across the bridge. So the train just slams into the giant generator, which, I mean, I, I don't know how many people could have been killed. Yeah. It didn't, for it goes off the rails, it derails. It fortunately does not go into the water. If the train had actually fallen off the bridge into the water, this they would never have been able to get it out. They're in the middle of nothing. I mean, how are you going to move a train out? Right. Fortunately, it didn't. The, and and now they look at this. The train is wrecked. It's you know it's off of the rails. Yeah. And they spent uh, several days to get it back onto the tracks. Wow. You know, with elephants and stuff <laughs> to do this, and they get it back on the tracks. Uh, and then they go and they do take two, and take two is the one that's in the movie. 
It wow. worked perfectly. Wow. One more thing about it. Mm-hmm. The sound guy forgot to hit record on the sound when they actually blew up the train. Damn. <laughs> yep. So the sound is just from a, a sound effects library of a train crash. That's where it comes from. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> and who do we cut to as the wreckage of the train is falling down as we cut to Clifton, who watches the whole thing and says, Madness. Yes! Which is the anti-war message right there at the end. Yeah. The moment with Warden is is interesting because he goes, he, the women are now looking at him and he says, I had to do it. I had to do it. They might have been yeah. captured alive. It was the only thing to do. I don't quite know how Warden can feel like some of this was his fault. I don't know what he did. I mean, yeah, he fired the mortar. Right. But at that point, things were already in chaos, yeah. you know. So they limp away. Warden has survived. And Clifton climbs down from the ridge and looks at all this. He sees Joyce. He sees Nicholson. And again, he says, Madness. Madness. And we see the the plaque of the Quai Bridge floating in the river. And he walks towards Joyce as the camera pulls back and back in this powerful helicopter shot. And we hear that triumphant music again, just like we did with the sick patients walking out of the hospital. It's like we hear this triumphant music in this moment that is anything but triumphant. Yeah. And then finally, uh, we go back to the bird that we saw at the beginning of the film. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the end of Bridge on the River Kwai. Madness. Madness. <laughs> By the way, this film was uh, edited in Paris because, as I said, David Lean couldn't go back to England. Mm, right. <laughs> One interesting thing, uh, David Lean hated the fact that critics, people like you, John, oh. would show up late to his screenings. I, I agree with that 100%. I would never do that. And so he told everyone, look, we're, we're locking the doors of the movie theater for, for our first press screening. Lock the doors. If they're late, they're late whole bunch of critics were late and they missed out on reviewing one of the greatest movies of all time. I love it. I couldn't encourage that more. Nothing drives me nuts more. I just had that going to see Dead Reckoning, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. A critic showed up because we have press seats, Mm -hmm. showed up five minutes after the movie started with a bag of Welch's uh, gummies and popcorn and proceeded to open it and eat it during the quiet moments of the first 20 minutes of the movie. I ended up leaving 45 minutes into the movie to find another seat. And thankfully I found something that wasn't near anybody in the theater and I could enjoy the film for the rest of the time. But that's the kind of disrespect that I don't understand from people who um, claim to love movies and claim to want to review movies. Uh, And it drives me insane. Uh, How can you review a movie when you miss the beginning? I mean, (laughs) like it's just ridiculous. It's fucking ridiculous. A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, and I don't I mean, care you, what the reasons are. I don't care what the reasons are. If something happens in traffic or tragedy or whatever, okay, I'm sorry. It sucks. It's unfortunate. You don't get to review the movie. That's life. Yeah. yeah. So. I mean, you know, particularly, I mean, yes, are there movies where the first five minutes you probably didn't miss anything? Sure. But you don't know that unless you saw the first five minutes. I mean, the first five minutes of the movie are massive for this movie. So, yeah. Absolutely. When Alec Guinness finally did see the movie, he was incredibly gracious and unstingy with his praise for Lean and for the film. And whether that that's politics or whatever, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, it was the highest grossing film of 1957. This was a huge hit. Yeah. So as I mentioned at the beginning, Holden had 10% of the gross. 
That dude is smart. He went to the studio and said, listen, pay me annually. Don't give me all the money in a lump sum. I will blow it. Just pay me annually for the rest of my life. (laughs) So he lived very well. Oh, damn, William. Smart. Yeah. It was nominated for Best Picture Director, Actor for Guinness, Screenplay, Cinematography for Jack Hildyard, who we haven't talked about enough, for Editing, for Score. The only thing that it didn't win was Sesu Hayakawa was nominated for Best Supporting Actor and did not win. Uh, Red Buttons won for Sayonara, which is a movie I've never seen. Nor will ever see. I mean, I, I, I maybe it's a good movie. Mm. Here, here are the movies nominated that year, by the way, for Best Picture. Yeah. Peyton Place, Sayonara, Witness for the Prosecution, and 12 Angry Men. Ooh, wow. Well, I mean, 12 is such a great film. Great film. Still, this one is like, come on. This is what I mean when I say, I I think in another year, 12 Angry Men can totally be best picture. But this is the kind of movie that should be best picture. Right, right. In the way that 12 Angry Men isn't. Yeah. And of course, it won best screenplay. And who goes up to accept the award for best screenplay? But the non-English speaking Pierre Boulle, who wrote the book, and the people who did write the screenplay, Carl Foreman and Michael Wilson, were not at the Oscars because they were blacklisted. Mm. And they were finally posthumously given this award, which obviously they deserved. By the way, just a little bit of history. There were 13,000 prisoners who died uh, working on this railroad, and between 80 and 100,000 civilians died during the building of the Burma Railroad, and they were buried along its route. I have a question from one of our patrons, Paul Sevilla, and he asks, question for you both. If you were in their situation, would you be more like Shears and escape, or would you be more like Nicholson and make the best of your situation and do something productive? Uh, Neither. Can I answer that way? That's my my answer is neither too. So maybe you have exactly the answer I do. I would be uh, a warden. Mm. I I would be that guy. That's who I would be. Uh, if, um, yeah, that's who I would be. But I would not. I don't know. Escaping from a camp in that way, I don't know if I would necessarily do that. To be honest with you, uh, but I wouldn't be Nicholson because I don't. I'm not a big follower of the rules, uh, as you know by the outlaw. So, um, but in the end, I think I'd probably. I might even be Clifton. To be honest with you, um, and I know I've maybe I've missaid that Lipton, Clifton. Sorry, guys, but Clifton, I would be because. Um, you know, just kind of watching it all and going like, this is all insane. How are you not seeing how insane all of this is? Um, but yeah, probably in the end, I'd probably be warden, the guy who want to sneak in and blow stuff up, sneak in and really kind of stick it in the enemy's eye, so to speak. Yeah, I, I, I'm the same. I wouldn't be either. I wouldn't be the adhere to the rules rule follower that Nicholson is. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the strength. I don't, I'm not, I don't think I'm capable of doing what Nicholson does. And I wouldn't have the fuck everything attitude of shears. I would be Clifton or I would, I would aspire to be Clifton. I think, yeah, you're more Clifton. I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So John, we have reached the time to give final thoughts on the bridge on the river Kwai. Yeah. Well, here's what I'll say. It was great to revisit the film. It's a film that has so many more messages uh, than I would have, than I've ever taken away from the film before in my life. And I've seen it numerous times. It's so phenomenally well acted, incredibly well directed. The pacing of it works so well, other than the stuff with the women near the end. Um, And the messages that you're supposed to take from this film, I think, 
uh, are really powerful and resonate. And even now in our world, as we find ourselves othering huge sections of our own populace, um, it is a much needed film to examine the madness of war, whether it be um, with weapons and with guns, with rifles, or with media, or with mental stuff, or with anything, uh, the madness of war, because it never ends up leading to something positive. It always ends up leading to something destructive in the long run and leaves dead bodies and um, great people uh, dead in its wake. You know, So that's what I'll say about The Bridge on the River Kwai. I think there are all kinds of movies. We cover all kinds of movies on The Cinephiles. Mm. And I think there are a lot of movies, you know, where you go in and you enjoy the movie and then you leave. Yeah. You know, and you go and that's great, you know, and I'll put The Great on the the Great Escape as a movie that's mostly like that. It's not that the characters don't live on with me and that I'm interested in them and I love going back and visiting it cuz The Great Escape is an old friend for me. Yeah. But there are other movies that I think change you. You know what I mean? There are other movies that live in you. The other movies that you can't actually reckon with at the end of the film and you know, like Kane, like Lawrence of Arabia, Bridge on the River Kwai is one or like Seven Samurai. Um, or the Godfather and the Godfather two, yeah, yeah. you get to the end and you go, fuck, like what, how, what am I supposed to do with this emotion? What am I supposed to feel about it? And how can I admire these characters who do things that are not admire, you know, admirable and even feel sympathy for characters who's ostensibly a villain and then see someone who didn't want to be heroic, become heroic and, and someone make the right decision by killing a young boy who's a soldier. And like, how am I going to, feel about all this and that's what's so great about it is that that's what fucking life is you know yeah life is you if you were looking at life and you just go these are the good guys and these are the bad guys and i'm one of the good guys and that's it you have missed the fucking point of life hmm. life is way more like the bridge on the river Kwai, where we're all struggling to do something sometimes for good reasons sometimes for less good reasons trying to figure it out making the wrong decisions moving forward and it's all madness like there's so i mean how much of our world today Basically, in our world today, we have more resources and more technology and more ability to make life fucking awesome for every single person on this planet today. And we can't do it. Why? Because of madness. Because we're so busy fighting each other and targeting each other and pursuing these bizarre dreams and pursuing things for our ego and for status and for madness and so that's where i keep coming back to this movie and going no we have to keep looking at this because we have to see the madness in ourselves and in how we're living this world because otherwise it's all gonna fucking blow up yeah and no matter how much you may not want and you want to be a part of it and may want to run away from it as shears does you're gonna have to play a hand you're gonna have to play a hand because you're in the fucking world because you're in the world yeah yeah so that's what we think of The Bridge on the River Kwai. We certainly hope you've enjoyed this journey with us. And we'd love to hear your thoughts because this is a movie that you're supposed to think about. And we'd love to hear your interpretation of the ending, of the characters, of what they were thinking and why they did what they did. So please visit us on our Facebook page. You can do a search for The Cinephiles. You can also visit us on Twitter at Cine underscore files. On Instagram, it's The Cinephiles Podcast. And we would love to get your comments in all of those places. Another place we'd love your comments is on Apple Podcasts, where we'd love you to leave a review. 
after you subscribe to the show there. And if you hate Apple and you're not an Apple person, we're totally cool with that because you could subscribe to the show on Stitcher or Spotify or YouTube or a whole bunch of other places. If you're on YouTube and you want to leave your comments there, please do. If you want to support the show and maybe even ask a question during one of our regular episodes like uh, Paul did, you can do it at patreon.com slash the cinephiles. And if you want to buy or stream the Bridge on the River Kwai, you can do it on cinephiles.net. And if you want to reach me, you can do it at SR Morris on Twitter, SR Morris one on Instagram. And of course, you could visit Enterprise Incidents for all your Star Trek needs. John, how would people find you? Yeah, you can always find me at The Roca Says on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, The Outlaw Nation on Twitch. Uh, my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roca Says, and all my other podcasts, The Geek Buddies and The Hot Mic that are out there for you all to enjoy as well. And I think that's it for this week. We will see you next time for another great film right here on The Cinephiles. <laughs>